This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Christopher Hollinshead, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling. And hey, if you enjoy the show and want to get access to a whole bunch of extra content, including classic pay-per-view reviews, one of which was chose by Billy Keeble, Joe's Q&A videos that she's got a whole bunch of now, pay-per-view reviews going all the way back to SummerSlam 2015, as well as our How To Revisited series where we continue the story on some of our earlier episodes and how the topics have developed in recent years. Well, you can do that and support myself and Joe by heading over to patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling we are entirely fan and listener supported because of all of our lovely backers if you got a moment want some extra content head on over there but for now enjoy this it's time to learn all about the great may young Friends and welcome to another episode of How to Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And good golly, Miss Molly, we're going back in time to look at one of the golden ladies of wrestling. Today is all about one of the most intimidating, imposing, and memorable female figures from my childhood. It's Johnny May Young. Hello, once again, it's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin, joined as I am in this. Look through uh, a figure shrouded in something of a time-related mystery by Joe Graham. Hello. The golden woman of this podcast. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I just kind of feel from the outset we need to say this. I think that golden girl and golden women, that should be reclaimed for the young from older people. I just think it should be, I don't necessarily like the young. I think just like women from any age group should like get to be golden. Yeah. All women are gold. (laughs) Well, there goes my plan for be the world's largest man covered in gold. But whatever, I'm a feminist, so it's fine, it's okay. <laughs> so, Joe, today we're learning about Mae Young, and a little bit of a, of a change of pace, I think, from our, our last few episodes. Certainly, Mae Young is a unique figure in wrestling, and I was going to ask you, for the, the fine fans at home, who is Mae Young? What do you know about this woman? Mae Young is... Let's see, what do I know about Mae Young? I don't know much about Mae Young. I know she gave birth to a hand. Yeah. I don't even know how I know that. Did that come up in an episode? Or is that just one of those, like, I feel there's certain nuggets of wrestling lore that, like, it's like a rite of passage you have to know about, like, Mae Young giving birth to a hand. Yeah, and, like, if you're a fan of how she wrestling and you meet Joe, it's a rite of passage you have to... To tell her. To tell her all yeah. these things. So I think you've had... And, and don't, it's not just folks at home, it's Billy Keeble and <laughs> Adam and me. And, like, you know, honestly, it, 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 it is a widespread problem with with us folks here (laughs) but i mean her giving birth to a hand is it safe to say that was the main thing that you knew about her before we 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 delved into this i knew that she was an old woman okay who was involved in wrestling you know until quite recently i mean she stopped being involved before i started watching Mm -hmm. but like you know i'm still a relatively new fan she was known for like Considering she was in her 80s, I think, when she was still involved with, like, the WWE and she was mm. still doing spots through, like, tables and things. That's quite impressive that she was able to do this, like, 
quite hard hitting wrestling style. Yeah, I think <laughs> like, one of the bumps. earliest memories I think you may have experienced with May, it was pointed out to me on our Dudley Boys episode, I think we talked about when they sent May Young through a table. Yes. Which I think we viewed more through the lens of what terrible characters than these Dudley Boys were, as opposed to, oh, wait a minute, there's an eight-year-old woman taking a <laughs> powerbomb there. Now... This is something which maybe at the start of your, your wrestling journey, I don't know if it's the case that you thought everything wrestling was so weird that nothing could surprise you, but I don't know if a few years later now, if the fact that Mae Young was as active as she seemed to have been throughout her career when she was an octogenarian, yeah, does that shock you? I mean, it, it impresses me. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that we have... You know, a version of Terry Funk, kind of, oh. who is a woman. Yeah. Like, I just think that's so cool, like... That we have someone like that in in wrestling kayfabe, as it were. Like, I just think that's really, really cool. She was, you know, incredibly badass. And I think, even though I don't necessarily find it surprising, it's difficult to say it's surprising because yeah. like, it's it was something I was aware of as I became a wrestling fan. Mm. But just the fact that, like, no other wrestler has been able to do what she did. Like, there's no other octogenarian woman who is taking bumps through tables. I mean, could you think of any woman over the age of, like, 40 that you've seen? No. You know, that's, uh, I mean, that's just kind of the the reality is, is that May has a career of, of two halves, and one half of that career is the May Young that, you know, we've been chatting about here, and that I was very familiar with growing up because of very early memories of seeing this old woman alongside the fabulous Mula on TV quite a lot. And I was wondering if you remembered, I know we're, I'm a little older than you, like by three or four years or so, but the kind of extreme 90s rude granny, is that like something, a trope that you were familiar with in like kind of non-wrestling media? Is that something you saw much of in the, the 90s or the noughties? I don't know. You know. It's really hard to think back and remember if there was much of that. I do remember always finding like edgy old women very funny. Like there's a, yeah. a huge thing in my family. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to bring this up. <laughs> you got a fucking whole crop of May Youngs on your yeah. side of the family. Like. It's amazing. So like, all the women in my side of the family all live to be like a hundred years old and they're all really naughty and they all <laughs> They all, like, sneak gin everywhere. Yeah, and, like... can you just sorry, define naughty as it pertains to an eight-year-old? Yeah. Because obviously with May Young, naughty can mean anything from, you know, falling with <laughs> child. Putting <laughs> sardines in her pants and thrusting her oh, she's crotch sure. in Eric Bishop. The, the Eric Bishop episode, that was a particularly high point. I think that was when you were like, we, we need to do this episode yeah. quite soon. Like, <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing this now, yeah. So, so, like, naughty things, like, I believe your granny on your mum's side yeah. has got a kind of a, a flair of the naughty. Yeah, it's all my mum's side of the family. My mum... Growing up, my mum always said that her and her sisters were determined when they got old to be very naughty grannies. And they'd go around and, you know, hit young men with handbags and steal stuff and Mm. things. And, like, growing up, my grandma was always very naughty as well. Like, if you're in the car with her, she would drive really fast. Or, like, you know, when you go into, like, a supermarket car park, she'd go the wrong way. Or, like, when crossing the road, like a zebra crossing, she would just, like, literally walk into the road and be like, watch out, grandma, you'll get run over. And she's like, what are they going to do, run over an old woman? (laughs) Like, she does not care. A self-awareness when you're old is, like, something yeah. that I, I aspire to oh, anyway. Oh, me too. I totally aspire to, like, just not giving a shit. And yeah. just, like, I don't care what people think about me anymore. I think it's one of the reasons why that kind of... A lot of the things from the 90s don't seem to kind of, like, hold true or, like, warm the cockles of the heart like they used to back then. And if you want to know more about that, you should watch Friends sometime again. <laughs> but, like, I'm thinking now, I was going to say, like, oh, is it a US thing, really? Like, kind of the whole you know, extreme granny, extreme granddad, like, I'm old, but I've got attitude. 
I do remember Harry Enfield and Chums. They had a sketch about like kind of naughty old women. Naughty old women, but that that was one of the first times I remember being kind of that they were like very sexually like predatory almost. I mean, the, the earliest instance I can remember is Monty Python. Oh shit! Yeah, because like they really went hard on the naughty old women. The Hell's thing. Grannies. Yeah, segment. I mean that's from I remember from 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 childhood for sure. So yeah, but like it's interesting that like oftentimes those instances, like I think a lot of those examples we've just mentioned, are men being naughty old women. Or dressing up as yeah, yeah exactly. True, yeah. Whereas it's very, I can't think of like you know media representation of like naughty old women. I yeah, I'm trying to think of any with legitimately with legitimate old women. Yeah, and enter Muller and May Young, who I think were if if anything the most authentic, legitimate old women who were in wrestling and on TV. Now I kind of want to, I don't want to spend a whole amount of time talking about it. Not just because it is very much requires its own episode, but I felt that we couldn't go into this episode at all and not at least mention some of the backdrop to the fabulous Moolah because she is very, very, very closely associated, if not entirely associated with May, throughout that run of, of her being an old woman later on. Right. As it retains to the fabulous Moolah, we did watch the, the Vice documentary about it and we watched uh, Lipstick and Dynamite, which is a, a documentary that came out around 2005, which didn't necessarily go into any of the allegations against Mula, but kind of gave a sense of her standing in the, the female wrestling community. Mm. She was a big name in her time, but are you aware, or could you describe any of the kind of the charges or the, the accusations against the fabulous Mula? I remember reading an article about the fabulous Mula three or four years ago when I was a, a new wrestling fan. The Snickers business, was that it? Could well have been the Snickers business. Snickers must disavow. is my yeah. favourite phrase of all time, by the way. <laughs> The meme of sending the Snickers reps <laughs> go and get them. <laughs> yeah, so I remember reading an article about the fabulous Moolah because I heard I heard someone say like she she did like sex trafficking or something mm. or she had slaves or something like that and I was like oh my god I've got to read about this because either that's totally not true and I need to know for myself or it is true and I need to know for myself. Like either way, that's pretty severe and no one really yeah. talks about it. And yeah, I read this article and it mentioned Sweet Georgia Brown yeah. and the allegations about that and the trafficking and oh my God, it was just so shocking. And yeah, I mean, you can watch The Dark Side of the Ring to, to see. Yeah, I think they do a good job of kind of interviewing the victims and also interviewing... The people who kind of want to defend her. And I, not, not to say like that I'm some sort of like, you know, have some sort of secret knowledge of all of it. I, I'll admit I don't yet have enough read up on it. I would say my knowledge of it extends to the Vice episode and a few bits and pieces I've read over the years. Yeah. But I certainly wouldn't say that like I have some sort of deep insight into it or all mm. that. But all I would say is from watching that Vice documentary... I got serious vibes of when like Louis Threw went back to, yeah. to to Jimmy Savile and he he revisited like the kind of people who were close to him and just the blind adulation of her. And yeah, I think at the best of times you could consider Moolah to be an incredibly contentious, controversial figure. <laughs> uh, you know, because someone who held on to the women's championship and held women's wrestling hostage essentially for thirty years is not the nicest woman in the world, even if we're sidestepping all of these mass issues of uh of sex trafficking and you know drugs and and everything else yeah i do think it's interesting though with moolah and you know it, it has somewhat pertinent i think a lot of things we'll talk about today has somewhat pertinence in the kind of post speaking out kind of movement and whatnot it certainly says a lot about 
the idea that just putting a woman in charge or mm. I, I don't know it kind of feel it, it is an argument against tokenism and yes. you, you certainly can see the stuff the allegations with Paige's mother Saria Knight which similarly has a house full of girls and their trainees as a power dynamic mm. I don't know it just kind of feels like you see what's happened with Moolah in the past and you hear some of the stories that we actually talked about in the Awesome Kong episode as well yeah. over in Japan I don't know it doesn't feel like that's necessarily just the solution to the problems that we're experiencing. No, and I think, you know what, it applies to not just like putting a woman in a position of authority in a male-dominated industry. I think it's the same with like, you know, a bit of a random tangent here, but like Bon Appetit is currently going through a massive shift Mm. and there's been suggestions of putting a person of colour in a position of authority there. And it's kind of like, it's a nice idea, but it's not enough. And if the industry itself is embedded in things like white supremacy and misogyny, then just putting another person in charge, no matter who it is, without dismantling the infrastructure that's in Mm. place to protect those in power, you're not going to achieve anything. Yeah, it it takes a little bit more than that. Yeah, anyone has the capability for wrong. So I think it was just worth, you know, I didn't want people to come into this episode thinking that you were completely unknown about Moolah. And I think I'll always try and maintain as much of the kind of the mystery about stuff in wrestling as I, as I can for episodes, but I kind of didn't want you to go into this half-cocked and kind of like... Wow, Moolah's know. great! Yeah. <laughs> Not that that would happen. She's shit. That, that being said... <laughs> I'm so surprised yeah. at how shit she is. Uh, we, we should say from the offset, from watching all the stuff that we have for, for May, and Mula is very often there... I thought it would make it watch, make it kind of disagreeable to watch it because it's like, oh, here's fucking Moolah and I've got all these kind of like very tainted kind of memories with yeah. her now. And here's Bay, who I've kind of got fond memories of in my head. And it's kind of, how do I reconcile these? Well, when one of them is like not taking bumps, can't do a promo and has no character. And the other one is there fucking this cool old lady who's mm-hmm. got toughness, legacy for days, like legitimate badass, yep. legitimate. The first woman to do a drop kick in wrestling, folks. Wow. And she was told to cut that flippy shit out. Oh my God. <laughs> and that takes us to the strange world of, and I hate this phrase so fucking much, girl wrestling. Yeah. Sorry, you've not tuned into Jim Cornette's podcast or anything. Girl Talking wrestling. about the girl wrestling. Fuck it. <laughs> no, uh, girl wrestling, Joe. I mean, it's just it's just wrestling which has women in. Girl wrestling, which is one step up from Goyle's wrestling. Uh, is... Two steps up from Divas, though. <laughs> yeah, in fairness, <laughs> if I was the, the girls' champion, it seemed a little bit better than the Divas' champion. Yeah. Maybe you wouldn't have a butterfly for a belt as well. <laughs> It was an odd time, and to look back on this, and my my knowledge of women's wrestling from the time was, was almost non-existent, so yeah. we, we had a number of articles sent to us, uh, some great writings that were sent to me by uh, Expedition Funk, thank you very much for that, uh, and also we watched the Lipstick and Dynamite documentary, mm-hmm. I read some of Mildred Burke's book, and I chored myself to attempt to read some of the fabulous Moolah's book, but my eyes fell out of my head before I could do any more of that. Oh god, is there anything like Hulk Hogan's book? Uh, ghost written to fuck? Like, yeah, ghost written to fuck. Does she claim that, like, she invented, I don't know, the, the boiled egg machine or the the hot press? I don't know. And then Metallica rang me up <laughs> on the phone and they said, Fabulous Moolah, we're, we're headlining Rock and Ring and we need you for that bass guitar solo. <laughs> and I told them, honey, you better have my money ready, James Hetfield. <laughs> you know, you don't deserve me to do an impression of you, Moolah. Uh, I take that back. It's horrible. Hang on, let me inhale it. It's gone back in oh, there. It's back inside you. That's ah, not good. No! Uh, I have a demon in me. Do a big fart. 30s and 40s, women's wrestling was 
very few and far between in terms of actual promotions that would feature it. And it was very much centred around a power couple, which was Billy Wolf, the self-proclaimed promoter of 95% of girl wrestling in the world. And his wife and the perennial NWA women's champion, Mildred Burke, who held the belt for almost as long as the fabulous Moolah did later on in her tenure. But Mildred Burke, very much like a Lou Thez or kind of some of those old timey figures we would talk about in the Terry Funk episode where she comes from an era when kayfabe was absolute Mm. but also winning and losing was not necessarily entirely predetermined or your opponent wouldn't necessarily always know that it was a work right but mildred burke would always win right okay (laughs) i've always wondered how how you get away with that seeing as wrestling is like both genuinely physically demanding but also predetermined and slightly choreographed like i just wonder how like, there's been a couple of things that we've watched for this episode where it's kind of like matches have not ended the way they were supposed to yeah, yeah. or people didn't do things they were meant to or, you know, this, that or the other. And I just, I don't ever understand how you can blur the line between genuinely competing with someone in a sort of a shoot wrestling match yeah. and also being like, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to win. Like, I, no matter how good you are, yeah. I'm winning. I... I... I think there's a lot that goes into it. I think it's a lot more complicated than, well, they were just tough back then and they fought for real. Because that's not the case. Like, there was an element of realism to it. I think there was an element of, as well, the fact that kayfabe was absolute in that you could do screw jobby things and I think the crowd wouldn't pick up on it whatsoever. I think compared to like what happened with Brett in 1997 when we certainly knew what happened behind the scenes and if you were reading closely you knew something was going to happen. Whereas back in the days of Mildred Burke I think fast ones were pulled on people all the time, referees doing quick counts, but you didn't even have video. You know, mm. I think there was a lot of that at play. I think also as well the fact that Mildred Burke and a lot of the, her contemporary like male champion wrestlers unlike their competitors or their, their challengers had like training camps like Mildred Burke she spent six months of the year just like sunbathing and working out and like making sure her bod looked fucking 100% (laughs) that that is what wrestling should be oh yeah genuinely like all wrestlers should get half the year off to spend with their family work out look awesome you should all marry the promoter (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Mildred Burke I mean you did see some footage of 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 Mildred yeah she looks like a bodybuilder. She yeah, she honestly looks like someone who's doing like kind of a, a strong woman shtick. Yeah. She had these yeah. giant fucking biceps. She's very tanned, very strong. She I mean she looks like a professional bodybuilder, like like a modern day female bodybuilder. And she would have been like May considered her to be her greatest rival throughout her career because Mildred was like kind of America's sweetheart. She was a strong wham bam thank you ma'am lady who everyone loved. She was she was dynamite. She was Box office, as they say. May was uh, was always a heel. You know, May used to say that they had to put chicken wire around the fences because they would throw rotten eggs at May. Oh my god! Because of the stuff that she did. But like Mildred Burke was just kind of is kind of exemplifies what it was like back then. It was even in a time when you think it should have been about, you know, according to them at least, it was about your physical prowess and how good a wrestler you were. It, the reality was Mildred Burke wouldn't have been champion for as long as she was, or even champion in the first place, had she not been married to the promoter, because the promoter ultimately decided who was going to be champion. And so to be clear, it's not even that because she was married to the promoter, she had this easy schedule, and because she had the easy schedule, she could look after herself so well and get super fit. And because of that, she was able to win matches it is just down to she was married to the promoter, therefore he gave her opportunities that no one else did. Pretty much. Like he would say... 
someone here now, like May May made this claim throughout her career that she was like the the willing and waiting obvious challenger, like the obvious kind of top heel. I think no, she, she has like a fantastic look. I cannot oh, emphasize. Man. Yeah, I mean the f- images we saw of May from back in the day, like she is a knockout. Like, yeah, I said to you, they'd spray paint her on the side of something dropping an atomic bomb. Like, oh she, yeah, honestly. And I can't think of a single point in history of, of like wrestling where she wouldn't be considered as like she's got the look. I mean, Lacey Evans right now. Yeah, look, looks so much like her. It's crazy how much that like the high waist shorts with the kind of the buttons yeah. and the kind of the the pin-up girl yeah. but like also she'd knock your teeth out like yeah. that was a hundred percent may but may claimed that even though she was the obvious like very tough very physically adept capable number two that because billy wolf didn't want mildred to be in the ring with someone who was too tough or would would tax her too much she instead would give her you know like in rocky they were tomato cans mildred they weren't real challengers they were just to make it look good and shine you up so I don't know how much Mildred Burke was even aware of the fact that Billy Wolf was kind of orchestrating her career, but I have a funny feeling that the two of them were kind of thick as thieves because right. she only lost the belt after they split up, oh. and then you know the next person to get the belt was you know his next his next squeeze. But yeah, I mean it, it's not just Mildred Burke and, and Billy Wolf. Like Billy Wolf's son married June Lee, who was like kind of one of the other top stars, and again they similarly had that relationship. Buddy Lee was a, a promoter slash wrestler who hooked up with the fabulous Moolah. And after kind of Billy Wolf's whole empire fell apart, that's how Mula was able to have a stranglehold. She basically took the exact playbook. Wow. I think the only difference was is that, you know, you could definitely say that Mula was not like a box office attraction like Mildred Burke was. Yeah. Mula was kind of like, I'll have this belt in the division and I'll kind of wrestle when it suits me. Mildred Burke was more of a, an actual star. Mm. And I, I, that's a lot of women's wrestling history kind of compartmentalized, but it shows you the backdrop to where Mae Young was. Uh, you know, Mildred Burke was one thing, her best friend, Fabulous Moolah, even when she was champion for 30 years, Mae Young never really got a shot at that belt either. So I am kind of confused as to the legacy of women's wrestling and how it's presented today because. We had some time finding footage from from back in the day, Joe, didn't we? It's impossible. It just it's not there. It's almost non-existent. I genuinely the only stuff I saw was from that lipstick and dynamite documentary we watched. There's a few little clips in there. Yeah. Some still imagery. I think as regards to May Young's career, and I can't believe I'm saying this, folks. <laughs> At the end of the last episode, I was like, "She's wrestled for nine decades." I'm like, "Let's try and get a match from every decade." Yeah. Fuck off, you're not doing that, because there is no footage available, folks, of Mae Young wrestling at all yeah. prior to her WWE career. Now, there may be some alleged footage, but to the point where I've had people helping with re- me with my research in DMs, and we watched Mae Young's like Hall of Fame package, and they're like, Mae Young was a knockout in the 30s and 40s, and it's like, in this ring, Mae Young. That's the only audio of yeah. Mae Young. Now, the guy I was chatting with were like, was that footage even real? Does that mean that WWE has footage and they've not released it? Or did they concoct it? It's like, why do you think that is? I don't know. It's really strange. And the trouble is like, I don't know what you can compare it to. Like in terms of like other wrestlers who were wrestling in those decades. Like I don't feel like Terry Funk is the only one I can really think of that I know of. Well, there were some bits that were missing. I mean, I think we said in Ric Flair's, like, how, you know, some of his matches with Steamboat. Yeah. And he was like, oh, some of the best ones, they were never filmed. And he's yeah. like, tears in his eyes. Like, it's so sad to me to think that out of the 27 matches I had with Ricky Steamboat, only 24 of them are available to us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rick, we hear the legacy bleeds, mate. The legacy <laughs> bleeds. <laughs> 
But I mean, it is interesting to think that television and wrestling would have been pioneered in like the 50s. That's mm. when it kind of became the norm. But like Mae Young, like her career in wrestling, she claimed started in 1939. And in 1941, Mae was in Memphis, Tennessee when Pearl Harbor happened and she was wrestling. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's World War II. Women's wrestling actually became a lot more popular during that period because so many of the men were away at war. Ah, that makes sense. So that was why there was kind of a renewed vigour of hmm. this, this, this style of wrestling. And... Many of the women in the documentary talked about how they would meant they'd be booked saying like, "All right, you're going to be the first match, or whatever." And then like the men would actually decide, "No, they should be on the main event." Or after they'd wrestled, the men decided they didn't want to go out and wrestle and stuff because wow. they don't work them. The the athleticism on display from the very little clips that we saw was incredible it really was and it was a lot more hard hitting than i thought it would be because i mean i've seen clips of like i don't even know if it's the same if it's a fair comparison because i don't know if it's from the same decades or the same country but like big daddy and giant haystacks yeah you know, that era of wrestling i've seen clips of so what do you mean world of sports world of sport exactly right, yeah, yeah. yeah so i think that's a bit later yeah but it, the style is so different like that's such a sort of gimmicky sort of slapstick comedy style mm. where they're not really hitting each other that hard but they're making a lot of sounds yeah whereas this style with with the stuff that we saw with the, the women's wrestling in the the 40s it was it was like strong style yeah. or or like <laughs> there was yeah. a part of the documentary i think it was about june byers they were talking about where they're like she'd do this move where she would lean you up against the ropes and she'd tilt your head back and she'd just smash you as hard as she could on your breastbone it sounded like a cannon yeah they're like it, it it hurt the fans didn't react to it and she <laughs> did it every fucking match like, it was it was certainly a time where like, even though I think we have this image in our head that you had to be very ladylike back then and people were very ladylike and whatnot, so therefore that translated to the wrestling. So mm. therefore, they, surely if in the 90s there was kind of, you know, hair pulling and cat fighting and, you know, go get them girls, that kind of light bullshit, surely in the 40s, you know, th those girls' mums and grandmums would have been, you know hitting each other with pillows and like <laughs> waving rolling pins at them like that's what i was expecting because i i expected so little of wrestling's presentation yeah. and i think a large part of it is world war ii because here's another weird fact folks ladies wrestling or should i say girl wrestling was fucking criminalized in over half the states in america until the 60s what the six you couldn't wrestle in chicago if you're a woman until 1965 so Hang on, when and why did they criminalise it? Because it was lewd and improper. There were some places where they would let you have girls wrestle, but only if no men were in attendance. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I would love to go. I know, actually, you know what? We've come full circle. Because yeah. like, some people are like, actually, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's illegal. Wow. Like, what the fuck? Wow, illegal. So here's the thing I am at with May and talking about her early legacy right now. We're not going to be able to talk about Match from Every Decade as we want to. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that we know happened in, in, during that time period and talk a bit about around there. But all I'll say this is it's been very difficult to research May, particularly because a large thrust of the chat about May when she passed away. I don't know if it was meant to be like, let's fucking bury her legacy or whatnot. But like, I read like, you know, Dave Meltzer's obituary about her and a lot of other kind of wrestling pundits. And a lot of the obituaries seem to be, she didn't wrestle for quite as many decades as she claimed she did. Or she's That's not fun, quite... isn't it? Isn't That's it? a really fun attitude to have now, to the 
longest wrestling female ever. Well, you know, I, I think it's right because I'll go into the goddamn grave before I hear anyone say that Mae Young wrestled for nine decades and not seven, <laughs> which is incredibly impressive and somewhat slightly less. Like, she even, right, even if we take into account all of the speculation and all that, and like, I'm being super fucking generous here on the side of her legacy is, is inflated. Yeah. She's wrestled for six decades. Yeah. Which is fucking insane. Yeah. Even if she only wrestled for seven decades, she h- holds the tie with Luthez for wrestling the most amount of decades. Wow. Luthez, who had in 74 wrestled Masahiro Chono in Japan. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> so, I think even if we're going to be mean with May and the legacy, like, in terms of the number of decades, it's still very impressive. Yeah. I think that's very much worth saying. And if three of those decades is when it's technically illegal for you to do it in half the country. Yeah. Right? You know, who's going to hold that against you? Joe, May Young's childhood. When would you suppose May would have been uh, growing up then? Um, <laughs> it's always a hard thing with, with folks who are older. I'm trying to like, contextualise them growing up. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think she's like, I think she would have been a similar age to my granny on my dad's side. Okay. So, guessing she would have been like a teenager in the late 20s? Yeah, so she would have grown up in the early... She would have been a teenager in like in the mid to, to early 20s. Right, yeah. She kind of grew up in the Great Depression. Mm. Really sad story with May. She never knew her dad. She had eight siblings, and when she was born, her dad said, I'm off to, to work, find some work, and he never returned. Oh my god! And apparently during the Great Depression... That was hella common. That like you would literally have to say, "Sorry, wife and kids, like there's no work here, and we can't afford to move, so I'm just gonna go and what? try find money." Like, oh my god, okay, it's so scary yeah. to think. I mean, I, I remember hearing about that happening in Ireland and stuff. You know, a lot of folks coming over to England because like, uh oh, we can't all move, so I'm gonna go over to England and never see you again. Hmm. But yeah, so May never knew her dad. She had eight siblings, and her mum was older, and one of her siblings had whooping cough, oh, which god. is so severe that she. Basically Basically needs to be looked after her entire time. So May Young started working full time while still going to school and being a standout athlete at the age of fourteen. Oh, working in a cotton mill. <gasps> Are you serious? She worked in a cotton mill in Oklahoma, age fourteen, supporting her mum and her eight siblings. Oh my god, a cotton mill. That that ain't. That ain't fun work. It's nice to know that it can be Dickensian in Oklahoma in the twenties yeah. as well. Uh, how quaint. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, she worked at the cotton mill, and the main thing that I was picked up from May's childhood, though, was that she absolutely excelled at sports. There was interviews with, you know, people who knew her football coach. She said that she was able to cook a, kick a football harder than any boy on the, on the, in the school. There's actually a statue of May in the Softball Hall of Fame in her hometown, a wow. bronze statue, just because she was so great at softball. Wow. Now, she also has a statue of her, I believe, in Titan Towers in WWE as well. So I'd just say, like, if you have any number of statues made about you after you've died, that's pretty impressive. For oh, different right. reasons as well. It's a bit weird that you can have multiple statues, but, like, not a single documentary about you. Yeah. Well, this is the thing about Majo, is that she does not talk about, she did not talk about her career. There is no book. She's talked about secondhand in Mildred Burke's book and Moolah's book, and in Lipstick and Dynamite, she's there kind of in the background a bit. Anytime she was interviewed, and I found the few interviews that there was, she was there either just to talk about what she did in WWE or to kind of talk about vaguely what it was like to be a woman's wrestler with Moolah at the time. And it's difficult as well because unlike a lot of people who I think have such a legacy in wrestling, Mm. part of the reason we are aware of those legacies is because of like 
you know, who they married or their children or their parents. Or, like, where, or what company they yeah. worked in, the circumstances that company finds itself in. Yeah, And she doesn't have any children. She was never married. No. And the companies she worked in don't haven't existed for 40 years. Essentially, so. yeah. It's, it is very, very kind of... It's a it's a strange kind of convoluted history like women's wrestling and I think May's legacy or lack thereof it's interesting to know whether or not it is by by design or if it's by kind of like I don't know if it's just the case that she's very humble and she didn't want to talk about it or she thought that like this era of wrestling would somehow hamper the crazy grandma taking bumps and drinking hard character that she was doing later because mm. I hear the stories of her growing up and her being a, a younger wrestler and I think why would you not want to tell people about that why is that not an intrinsic part of the May Young story and character it's so weird it's almost as if she didn't exist before she was 77 there's a really cynical part of me that blames the patriarchy I for this. the fabulous Mula. but also the fabulous Moolah I say she's part of the patriarchy to be honest but just like the fact that like, yeah, you don't really hear about any of these women or like like women's wrestling. Like it just, it's, it's, and especially with like the WWE who have such an archive and such a power hold over the narrative of the history of wrestling. They can deem what is part of their history yeah. and what's not part of the history. I mean, like when we were researching this, you know, taught, learned a bit about Moodle and all that. I mean, you learned about Wendy Richter and stuff as well. Yeah. And about, and you were like, who's she? And I'm like, oh, she was like pretty much like the Hulk Hogan in the 80s or quads? why did that happen it's like well you know she's not part of their history now so you don't know that fact you know and they're not going to say as much and it is it's we we talked in the aj styles episode like kind of about a lot of what us as fans and kind of you know and, and fan media the roles that we play in wrestlers legacies but i think we will be very 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 remiss not to mention the ultimate power particularly when the footage is kind of questionable and where it is. Like, this is why Bret Hart was so kind of concerned about his legacy. Yeah. We talked about, you know, Vince owned all of my footage. Yeah. Like, um, he said this so much to himself, half the reason why I went back was because I, I didn't want to live in a world where my footage was held hostage for the yeah. rest of my life. And, you know, it's going to be even more pertinent with this instance because of Vince McMahon's father, Vince Senior, mm. having, you know, so many fingers in so many pies across America's wrestling industry. Yeah, and I think the the legacy of Vince Senior as it relates to Moolah and May is and we'll talk about that in a bit is, is certainly one of the reasons why Vince Junior, I think, held them in the regard that he yeah. did. So her first match, and this is where the kind of the first dispute kind of comes, because May has claimed that the first match she had took place in nineteen thirty nine, which would be her first of nine decades, mm-hmm. which would have placed her at age fourteen. Yeah. Whereas historians or wrestling story, brackets Dave Meltzer and his the Forum Gang, mm-hmm. have been unable to find actual proof of, of that. And again, if it, I just think it's worth bearing in mind as it relates to history. I mean, the little bit of history I did in school, I'm learning about primary and secondary sources. <laughs> but if it's illegal in half the country, yeah, chances are many of the shows probably didn't have playbills no. and you know marquees and banners and ticket stubs with the names of everyone on them yeah i think there would have been a lot of like kind of wild west yeah cowboy harsh, harsh speakeasy wrestling probably. outlaw shows yeah. kind of is what they would call them back in those days but anyway if more the reason they kind of believe this story is untrue is because they do know that she started wrestling in high school and began excelling at it at age 15 and they're kind of saying like why would she begin wrestling 
pro before she started doing it in school, amateur-wise. But either if it happened when she was 14 or when she was 15, 1939 or 1940, lads, you're fucking splitting hairs. You know? Yeah, I'm sorry, who, who gives a shit if who she's 14 or 15? Like, she's, like, lived to be 90 years old. I, I'm look, sorry Joe, she doesn't remember the exact year she look, look, started Joe, wrestling. I want to be able to stand by that grave and go, hmm? <laughs> and raise an eyebrow with a clear conscience. This is 10 months <laughs> off. I think you'll find. I don't know. I mean, can we carbon date the can we dig her up? Can we just be sure, you know, just a hundred percent? I don't want I, just, I don't want to be made out to be a fool on a podcast is all, you know. <laughs> so in her first match, she sees Mildred Burke, who's wrestling, and she says to her friends, I could beat the shit out of her. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, I could take her. I love that. What year would this have been? Nineteen forty or thirty nine. Amazing. Imagine that a woman in the nineteen forties or thirties being like, I didn't beat her. <laughs> Which is pretty much the equivalent of like you go into like a wrestling show these days and be like, I'd take that Roman Reigns. He's, he's a big piece of shit. Like. Yeah. So she thinks I'm gonna take on uh, Mildred Burke. And of course Mildred Burke would do a gimmick like we talked about in the William Regal episode when, when Matt Ricardo those who are joining us about you know the old days where there'd be the open challenge right and that's kind of what they would do with Mildred they would do like kind of fan plants in the audience and they'd do kind of local athletes and they'd say anyone come and challenge Mildred Burke the great NWA women's champion and she'd you know make short work of them or whatever or sometimes it would be kayfabe sometimes she'd just like beat the shit out of someone right and May was like I want to take her on I want to take her on and Billy Wolf decided okay <laughs> she seems like she might be a little bit more than Mildred wants to have at this exact moment. So instead of fighting Mildred Burke, they put her in the ring with your new favorite wrestler, Joe. It's no other than Killam Gillum. Yay! I love Killam Gillum. Gladys Gillum, who is the standout star of the uh, of the Lipstick and Dynamite docu- Lipstick and Dynamite documentary. I said that Mae Young was like Terry Funk. No way. Ke- Killam Gillum is so much more Terry Funk. The May. She's she like so such, cool. such a cowboy. I love it. She never once in her entire career won a match. Wow. Because love it. she always played the nasty evil, like, <laughs> yeah, like the, the evil hag, you know, that she was out and she would always be this, you know, had one tooth in her head, rough and tumble. <laughs> you know, she she was like Luna Vachon before that was even a thing. She she kind of embraced her kind of role, let's just say. Uh, one of the scariest things the Lipstick and Dynamite documentary was kind of seeing how, like, much like Terry Funk, how her career had taken its toll on her. Yeah. And Mula, I don't know if Mula was like doing it to be mean because Mula is like has a fucking PhD in being like specifically cruel to all of her contemporaries uh, yeah. from that era. But she said that she had like a cauliflower head, mm. like the back of her head was all like you know you get cauliflower ears, yeah. You know, it's all scar tissue, and sc- stuff, yeah. scar tissue swollen up because when she would take bumps, May said she'd take the bump, she'd throw her feet in the air and she'd land right back on the back mm. of her head. She'd do these big spectacular fucking face plants. On the back of her head, and she did it for like thirty years or whatever. Wow! And also, a highlight of the documentary was when she's there with her grandson, and they're going fishing. She's like looking wistfully out the the window, and he's like, "But I heard all sorts of things about you, Granny. What? Like what? Well, didn't you bite a guy's dick off once? <laughs> no. I mean, well, I don't remember. I don't recall. That but... <laughs> may have happened. <laughs> it definitely happened. <laughs> but yeah, May Young, she finished off Killam Gillum in like seconds. Wow. Allegedly. Because May had actual wrestling skills, but she was beyond tough. Legitimately tough. There. So that would have been like a shoot fight. Yes. So they would have just like, what, MMA style? Yeah, just like beat the fuck out of her. Like basically wow. would have said to Killam Gillum, like, you know, this this woman's coming in here, you know. Beat her up. Beat her up. Like, and May, that was something that May would say throughout her career. 
at points was that Mildred Burke was 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 there for her to beat, and that Billy Wolf from day one was scared of of May Young beating her, and therefore would never would never allow it to happen. How much of that is May Young playing a character? Yeah, <laughs> is what I struggle with because I found another interview with her from like the 70s or 80s when they were doing a story on Mildred Burke and she literally said, you know, Mildred Burke was legitimate. Even if any of the matches were fixed, she was a legitimate athlete and the best wrestler in the world, full stop. Mm. And I always wonder if it's kind of like later years, it's like, well, if you know, Moolah's saying, well, if they bring up that Mildred Burke, you say, oh, she never beat me. You know, like like she, you know, because anytime they asked you, say, Moolah about Cindy Lauper or Wendy Richter, she'd do that, well, she never, yeah. you know. And it just felt like, hmm, I kind of feel like that's not necessarily the the, the full story, is it? You know. Yeah, it's difficult to say, isn't it? I, mm. I do wonder which is true. So there are some pioneering things that May did do. And I think I don't want people... I don't think she's necessarily fits into the mould of the, the, the type of pioneer that WWE make her out to be in the May Young Classic footage. But May did things in her career that like are beyond like incredibly important. Like, for instance, she was part of the first ever group of American women to ever wrestle in Japan. Wow! When would that have been? 1954. Oh my god. So this would have been like, you know, during the rebuilding process after World War II, she would have been the first groups ever. So Mildred Burke and Mae Young, that was the kind of, that was the the two gaijin girls who came over and like many people say, that's the origins of Joshi. Not saying they are the origins, but that's a part of it, is seeing, you know, learning this, again, like we talked about in in their episode, like, this is how wrestling kind of happens. People visit and yeah. that, that's how the culture begins and all that. And it is really interesting to know that as well as that, she went and was one of the first groups of female wrestlers from America to wrestle up in Canada oh. for Stu Hart in 1941. Oh my God. Stu Hart in 1941. That's ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> Brad hadn't even been born, like. Oh my God. God. So do you reckon she would have wrestled a stew? <laughs> or a bear? Or, or I don't I don't know. Yeah. Or, but like, it's just it's just interesting to know like that, that was kind of even though across America it was still outlawed, it was still like you couldn't stop it. You couldn't stop it developing. You could say you can't run it in Chicago, you can't run it in Madison Square Garden, but the women were over in fucking Japan, the women yeah. were in Canada, they were all over the world, like learning. Very interesting as well that like I mean, I suppose it's just everywhere at this time was like very scary style of wrestling. But like both Japan and particularly like Stu Hart's Junjun are known as being like one of the toughest, some of the toughest places to train as a wrestler. Oh, like, yeah. They will train you so hard. We talked about Sherry, what it was like for her yeah. learning. And like her, her education was like an open face slap yeah. and, you know, plates of misogyny and then like deal with it and train like the guys. Yeah. And like, <laughs> May said that. You know, if you wanted to train to be a wrestler, it was like you had to ask Billy Wolf or you had to ask a promoter. That was pretty much the only way it was going to happen. And, you know, she said, like, the nice, like, this this will tell you what it was like. She's the nicest compliment she was paid during her, her early days was Ed the Strangler Lewis said, May all women belong in the kitchen, <laughs> but I think you might be built to wrestle. Aww, Which is like what? Nice. Isn't that nice for the big massage? That is, yeah. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! But like as well, I mean, the training is aspect of that. Like you know, if you want to train, you got to sleep with Billy Wolf. Yeah, you know, you know, but like that—that that was it in a lot of the cases. Or you wanted, you wanted, you'd sleep with Buddy Lee. You know, that Moolah says Hang she. Hang on, sorry. So Billy, Billy Wolf was. Buddy Lee was with Moolah. Yeah. Billy Wolf was with. 
Mildred Burke. Mildred Burke. Yeah. And in both of those cases, they were just like openly yeah, like, range. you've got to have sex with me. Well, and what, Mildred Burke and Moolah were both like absolutely fine with well, this? Well, Moolah says she kicked out, she kicked out Buddy Lee when she caught him in bed with, with But that someone. was like years later. It was happening all the time. But like they, May and May and Moolah ran like a training school together, essentially. Right. Because what was happening then is like you hit into the 60s, it starts to be decriminalized. You've got Vince Sr. wanting to run women's wrestling in Madison Square Garden. Now, originally, like kind of the idea was that they were going to go to who some of the people who picked up some of the pieces of what was left over from Billy Wolf and, and Mildred Burke. I believe it was Billy Wolf's son, actually, was, was involved in it. For whatever reason, it didn't work out. Like Mildred Burke was going to train people and send them down. It didn't work out. Instead, Moolah was given the job. And it was basically like, look, we want to have some some girl wrestling. Will you, if I hire you, go and get a bunch of girls, train them, pay them, make sure they're here. If there's any problems, deal with them. Like, you know, in our ECW episode, we talked about how like they they said Conan, you bring in all the luchadors. Like, kind of you bring in a whole like basically section of our roster. Yeah, or so, like with TNA, I guess with with Gale bringing in yeah. like, again a roster of of women. So it was kind of the like, ultimate responsibility was given to Mula to train and bring in these girls. Right. And Moolah did bring in May. Like Moolah would have been the first match in Madison Square Garden when wrestling was decriminalized for women. May would have been shortly thereafter. But it was very soon it became not that Moolah was training the wrestlers, is that May was actually training the wrestlers. And a lot of the women in the in the sixties and the seventies were actually being trained by May in Moolah's gym. I was gonna say because like all of the clips there's a lot more clips of Moolah wrestling mm. than of May. Like infinitely more. And Moolah sucks. She's so bad. And not just like when she was an old woman. No, no, no. Just always has... Like, she wrestles the way I think I would wrestle, which is like, I know I've had no training. I'm not even athletic. It's just clumsy. How scary is that then, Joe, to say, hey, you're going to be the fucking blueprint of all wrestling. But that's the thing. Like, a lot of the wrestlers... Like, a lot of the clips we saw of wrestling at this time was awesome. Yeah. It definitely wasn't anything like Moolah's style of wrestling, which is just lazy. So uh, it's it's sad to think, though, that women were being trained. Trained, inverted commas, by Moolah, but, like, actually being trained by May? But, like, I mean, May, I think there's, it's quite a short list in terms of, like, like, I think there was a few women who were in Japan who May trained. I think there was a guy who's claimed to fa- he had a career wrestling with Rick something or other but he, he designed the Gold's Gym logo he, she she trained some men as well which awesome. in the 70s was like unheard of yeah, a bet. woman training men so it is again another part of her career that's kind of like a bit shrouded and somewhat mystery I don't think it was necessarily something she talked about very very and much and you know what I can't imagine many men would have talked about it either like no I don't think it'd be something to be particularly proud of <laughs> considering as many men wouldn't even like <laughs> yeah wrestle women like it'd be great like instead of Hogan's being live at oh, Hiro Matsuri <laughs> broke my leg and Mae Young broke my jaw on my first uh, <laughs> first day of training you know slapped me in the face said if I wanted to be in this business I had to learn to straight up and fly right kind of. <laughs> But, you know, the Moolah's style, that was then what you were seeing in, in, in wrestling in the WWWF, the limited exposure that it was getting, it was, you know, your hair pulls, the the kind of stomps the, on the hair, the the the, the catfight stuff. The yeah. Cat. But the thing was, and Cornette said this in the Dark Side of the Ring documentary, they're like, well, that was crowd-pleasing. It's what I people totally wanted to see. I totally agree. And it's something I've said on previous episodes, is how much I enjoy that style of fighting i just think it shouldn't be restricted to women i think it should be allowed to be anyone to be used it well they have like it's it's the you know 30 year career of of moolah having that championship and the style of women's wrestling even though you were seeing the likes of may 
you know, rest in a harder style, yeah. doing stuff where they were told, you know, stop flipping and stop, you know, doing so much acrobatics and whatnot to, to make the men look better. <laughs> and I just think it's so amazing then to think that that style didn't change. Because when you watch some clips from 1999, you see the, the women in bikinis doing pretty much the same moveset. Yeah. Like that is, you know, she broke some glass ceilings, but she was putting some pretty thick ones in below her on the way oh, up. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, and, and May was part of that. Right. Because I think that by being like that legitimate association with Moolah, I think that, you know, I think May's role in limiting women's wrestling as a standing as her legacy is, I think she has a role in it. She was part of it. Do you think that was like intentional on her behalf? Or do you think it was just her being maybe a bit, I don't know, shy or cowardly or she just really loved Moolah and wanted to do whatever she said or... Well, Moolah loved money and she said as much. Yeah. The clue was in the fucking name, like... Yeah. But I genuinely think that a lot of women at the time viewed this as like, this is how women's wrestling gets to the mainstream. Like, what, this is... Moolah? It, well, yeah, because, you know, Vince, WWF and Vince Senior, that was one of like, that had TV, it went all over the Eastern Seaboard, you know, Bruno Sammartino and all that. You know, it was... It was big business. It was cable TV. It was you know television that people were getting to see in their homes. And I think they were just of the viewpoint, well, we'll, we'll do it like this because it, if this is how to get on TV. You went in 10 years from one woman, Mildred Burke, only be able to tour around six months of the year where it's legal. And now instead over here in New York, we're going to get TV. I think it. I think you could easily convince yourself it was best for, for what was for, for women's wrestling at the time. Right. Whether or not you're going to go and make sure, Moolah, you hang on to that belt for 30 years. Yeah. She sold the rights to the championship to Vince. Like the, the NWA Women's Championship. She just sold the belt and the, the lineage to him. I didn't I, know you could do that. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> How much did you sell it for? I don't know. It was like 1983 it happened. Fucking hell. She just sold the very, belt. It's both not very wrestling and also the most wrestling. Yeah. But like, again, this just shows you, folks, like... This is like, it's so fucking convoluted and toxic and poison. And I kind of like, I wonder like, the more you find out about women's wrestling about this time period, I don't know, like, I feel like the less and less glamorous it seems. Yeah. It's less the kind of, (laughs) it seems very much like kind of the, look at those girls and their nice high heels and their lovely dresses. (laughs) And then you realize, look at those girls, their shoes are very sore and they're probably, you know, cut into this bodice that is really, really tight. And there's a lot more anguish going on than the pretty exterior would have you believe. And that's something that May talked about is that they're all expected to look yeah. the fucking the business. Which, I mean, is still true to this day. I mean, I've spoken about it from the very start of this this podcast is how women are put on such a different pedestal to men when it comes to their presentation. They're expected to wear false eyelashes, wigs, hair extensions. Yeah. Full makeup. Well, that's the thing. When, when I... Saw them talking about it and May was like, you know, we had to have a hose, we had to have suspenders, garter belts, corset, hair permed up, she you know, said, all the pins. She said they had to have, was it surgical tubing? Yes, yeah, so on, you're... In her bra or her bodice so to like... slip out. So yeah, her boobs wouldn't fall out. Like, it's, and like, that's all stuff that now is like, just, is part of, of costume design. Oh, like yeah. wrestling. Like, it's just like, it's des- we've come so far with technology yeah. that it's just like, <laughs> it's like a young Kevin age 15 was reading a Leisha's autobiography and found <laughs> the, the big paragraph about tape and I was like what? <laughs> what? <laughs> but like my mind immediately kind of went to like there was you know, two thoughts on this my mind immediately went to like god yeah she was saying it as if like not like today you know yeah but then my mind kind of went like well you know maybe not for you today maybe not for you today <laughs> but like I know that like yeah, so you know, you know, in the year two thousand, Leah could show up wearing like kind of you know 
her her cool t-shirt and her sneakers and stuff like that she could dress how she wants but she still has to like have you know she didn't have her makeup her hair done all the yeah. you know, there's her nails done like you think of even those those alternative like you know Shotzi Blackheart didn't show up you know with her her goth look yeah. on point you know that that's the same expectation I guess I know wrestling is a, a visual business and yeah, it, of course. You know, I think to an extent the men are expected to to look a certain way as well but certainly not to the extent that the women are no still also it was quite eye opening to me that they were there talking about, like, well, you have to make sure the bathing suits look good and all that. Like, wrestling in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s still very much for the women, even though it was a stronger style. I was shocked to learn that a big thrust of it was, like, for the ladies. Yeah. And they were, like, you know, calendars, swimsuit, you know, the, the pictures for them on the shows would be them in a pin-up, you know. very similar to the way the women were kind of... It's, I mean, obviously different, but similar to the way women were treated in, like, the Attitude Era and slightly after yeah. that. They were less sexualized, but still very much objectified. Yeah, and it is completely an antithesis to the WWE narrative I don't know. Anytime I think of like shit WWE narrative documentary, my mind always goes to like Big Show. Like, because you know, Big Show talking about the Montreal screw job. Get over it, man. It's no big deal. You know? <laughs> big Show talking about women. Like, well, you know, back in the 40s, they'd be like, you know, they were tough women, but like, you wouldn't want to date them, man. You wouldn't want to look at them. But then, you know, they came around in the 90s and it's like, you know, Trish and Lena, man. Oh, man, you know, oh. And then like Becky Lynch and Bailey. I mean, oh, man, but they could wrestle. And it's as if to say that like women were asexual and not at all viewed as attractive figures or or they marketed. All, they were all mummies in the 50s and the 40s. Yeah, they, it was like my grandmother. Man. Yeah, like, and my mum. Like, let, let's not take it like, you know, just because Mae Young had a forearm tattoo, smoked a cigar, and wore men's suits most of the time, doesn't mean that she wasn't a fucking pin-up beauty queen in her day. Because she absolutely was. Oh, she definitely was. Also, I didn't know she had a tattoo. What's oh, the tattoo yeah. of? <laughs> no, I can never make it out. <laughs> That's so cool. I don't. I can't think of like any women from like I know, even <laughs> remotely that age group in wrestling like you just don't get women with tattoos in wrestling like yeah. very rarely well i mean you know may's a, a tough a tough old girl let's just say and her toughness we could talk about as an old woman later on but there's many a story from back in the day i think uh hands of stone ronnie garvin who was one of the toughest men in wrestling and the nickname hands of stone was given <laughs> for a particular reason because he hit snug let's just right. say and he was a, a wee neophyte, a youngling in the 1960s, when uh, he just made a pass at May Young, you know, in the locker room, like, hey, baby. And he said, I'd never been hit so hard in my entire life. She knocked me the fuck out. So hang on. What what happened here? He What, he's flirted with yeah, her? Yeah, made a pass at her. Like, hey, baby, me, you after the show. Pow! I refuse to believe he just made a nice little pass. I don't think you get punched in the face for going... Hey, fancy going to the cinema with me later? Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of stories of her. And again, these these some of these stories are kind of like alleged. Some of them are like, I think are just part of like wrestling lore and history. I think some of them, like there's no smoke without fire for yeah. definite. There's a lot of these stories, some of which uh, go from the juvenile, like Ox Baker, one of the greatest mustaches in wrestling history, by the way, or the greatest eyebrows as well, for that matter. Oh, you have to show me a picture now. You only saw him as an old man, where usually someone as an old man has got like, Better eyebrows? Yeah. There's Ox Baker. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, he looks ox, like the final boss. Ox Baker? Ox Baker. What a fucking name. So he's what? An ox who bakes? <laughs> All right. Animal crossing on the mines. <laughs> 
But Oxbaker, he said that, you know, when he was starting out as well, he was, like, really nervous, like, because he was, like, going into the shower and, like, May was changing in the changing room or whatever. And he was like, oh, yeah, this might be inappropriate. I don't want to make her feel uncomfortable. And she walked up right behind him, yanked off his towel, whipped him with it, and went, I'm one of the fucking boys, and spanked him and I walked off. I love her so much. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, there's stories from, like, people like Ken Raimi, who was, like, a manager back in the day, and he said, like, she just bet me up. <laughs> oh, you know? Dear. And then there's all these kind of, like, no names associated, but it's, like, May would, like, apparently, like, with with aggressive fans or like creep wrestlers or promoters who are like, come on, baby, why don't you come back to my hotel room or something like that? Or maybe get some of your friends and we'll have a bit of a party. And then she like beat the shit out of them and take the money and spit it with the girls. Wow! Now for me, that kind of like feminist Robin Hood story is the stuff dreams are made of. And I don't want to look into it anymore to find out that it's not true yeah. or like really problematic or whatever. <laughs> but like, thus is the legend of May Young, like, you know? God. Now. Now we're going to enter the part of we've one toe in the water of explicit speculation and let's put both feet into the deep end of the pool of out and out total speculation. And I feel it's not my place as a straight white guy to be on your podcast tell me who may or may not have what sexual orientation. But we have something of, I don't want to call it a dossier of evidence, but I'd say it's certainly a cash. <laughs> I think there might be some evidence to suggest that May may not have been 100% straight. I, yeah, it's very interesting that you, yeah, you say this because I've got to admit there were lots of instances when we were watching clips and the documentary and things like that, that I kind of, there was a little voice in the back of my head that went, it's very unusual. For was it a, the little gay voice in the back of your head? little gay voice in the back of my head <laughs> <laughs> that fancies me young. I was like, oh, I hope she's gay. She is just so not like straight women of the time. She's very gender fluid comparatively. Yes. I mean, you know, consider where we're at, the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. Yes, which mm. is like, you know, peak of like traditional gender roles. And Mae Young's smoking cigars. Which is apparently, I didn't even know this, but apparently that's some sort of like hidden lesbian signal or something. It's a big, <laughs> it's a huge... I don't know, like, I kind of I feel it's not my place to say whether it's a signal or not. Also, though, I don't know if like... If the word signal are, are is better than flags in this Flag, case, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Flag seems like it might be like a bad thing, <laughs> you know. Not all flags, but I did do some reading up on like regards the cigars and the kind of the, the gendered roles and whatnot. And it certainly was a thing in like kind of the eighties and nineties. Like a woman with a cigar was like very much kind of like, you know, like a woman in a man's shirt. It's meant to be kind of like a power pose type of a reclaiming a masculine thing. It's meant to be very you know uh, empowering and whatnot. But back in those days, like if you're a woman, you smoked a cigarette. And you smoked a long slimline cigarette that had a nice woman on the carton or whatever. Yeah. You certainly weren't fucking chewing dog turd cigars like Mae Young. Like, you know. <laughs> and also as well, and here's another big one that goes hand in hand with this in terms of the gender fluidity and whatnot. Uh, she wore business suits. That's so cool. You know, oh. men's business suits. Now, I hate that I haven't been able to find any pictures of this. I really want to see her in a business suit. I kind of feel like the, the toughness of May and kind of her decision to wear what she wanted to wear and be the person she wanted to be in the time period she chose to do it, it all seems to kind of go together because I don't think you could survive as a gay woman in wrestling in the 30s or 40s or even to someone who says, hey, I don't want to wear a fucking dress and be mm. dolly like everyone else. Even at that level of, of, of being different. I don't think you could live that life without being hella fucking tough. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to be tough anyway to be different, but man. <laughs> I mean, but there's a lot of things about her that kind of make me think, oh, yeah, that, that could very easily be true. Like the fact that 
you know, she never got married. She never had kids. She's never famously been in any relationships. Has she ever had a, a male partner? Is no, that we know no, of? none that we know like, of. Never. That's, Not I mean, that's of. in wrestling in that time. That is almost unheard of. Like, the closest thing to a partner is she lived with Moolah for exactly. 30 years. And another woman. And like. yeah, KDD, Katie, Katie Diamond, who Moolah lovingly referred to her as mad and midget. But like, that's a kind of a, I mean, they referred to her as like, as a child essentially. And they lived on different parts of this compound or whatever, but they lived together. Well, they lived in the same house, but on different, different floors. floors. Yeah. <laughs> and like, Moolah's quite a, a, had a quite a wide ranging kind of lakeside compound may trained moolah yeah you know I, I thought i think moolah was very upfront about that no she taught me many things and honestly my first thought when she said that was she taught me how to eat pussy but <laughs> well you were also quick to point out once i brought this cash to your eyes you were like hey remember when she did all those like you know gestures i mean that's the thing i'm very impressed by her tenacity to not appeal to men sexually Mm. like at no point in her life has she ever come across as other than like when she was first like as a wrestler she had to be feminine to like present as like this lady wrestler girl wrestler Mm. but like other than that like the fact that she goes so hard to actually make herself either sexually repulsive to men Mm. or you know a joke or very brash and aggressive yeah like she seems to do everything she can in her power to not come across as a typical heterosexual woman yeah who's going to do what men want her to do yeah and i think a lot of her compatriots from the time have said she was openly gay you know but that's again we're talking about a time period where someone's saying that isn't like kind of i mean i obviously it's not the easiest thing in the world today to be gay still but like there's a lot of a destigmatization about that. I think someone saying that you're openly gay in the 50s, you have to bear that in mind if your compatriot was saying that. It was that. illegal. I mean, they could be saying that as like, an, oh, don't trust her, she's gay. You know, yeah. it, it, it may not necessarily like, be just, uh, uh, yeah. The other end of the spectrum, though, could be that the reason we don't know about this is because it was illegal. Like, it's not, again, it's like you say with the wrestling, like, we just, we wouldn't you have wouldn't talked know. about it. And yeah. like, you're not going to out yourself for a crime, are no, you? No, Joe, there were no lesbians in America <laughs> They only existed all. in 2003 it, exactly with hot lesbian when, Eric Bischoff, <laughs> to his credit, <laughs> invented lesbians. And it was later we realised they didn't have to be hot or undergo any action, you know. But it was early days, wasn't it? Those women were pioneers. And the other thing is, of course, she's incredibly private. You don't know anything about her you, personal you would be life, though, wouldn't you? And you would be. Uh, hello, what's what is your job? Well, I do something that's illegal in half the country. Ah, okay. And what's your lifestyle? Well, it's illegal and immoral according to. <laughs> everyone in this country it is just always worth bearing in mind and it was uh something that i heard april hunter say recently in an interview she was talking about the speaking out movement but she said that like the west has it but america particularly has this puritan streak oh yeah for that sure runs right through it and it's a weird puritan streak and it's the type of puritan streak that says porn is evil but will present women's wrestling in the 90s that is essentially soft core porn yeah and it's the ty- it's it's the type of thing that will say you know that women's wrestling is illegal and you know it's it's the type of thing that will like try and crush things down but at the same time allow the hypocrisy to continue mm-hmm. because those who are often saying that things are immoral are the people who are engaging in those very immoral activities it's just kind of it's a different time isn't it you yeah. know and it it kind of is a bit shocking to look back i think the the weaponized nostalgia for the period of time around the you know you wouldn't mind like world war Two ain't the funnest fucking time to be around or the time period right after it but jesus christ for somebody who wasn't born to be 40 years after it we seem to all be 
you know, victim of this weaponized nostalgia of this great fucking time yeah. when it was all lovey-dovey and all that. It just, people kept a lot of secrets. Yeah, and you know what keeps popping into my head? The fact that the only openly gay wrestler I knew of when I first started watching was Darren Young. Like, yeah. he, was, he was the only out gay wrestler at the time. And like, that can't like there's no way he's the only no gay way. wrestler in no all of wrestling way. throughout the history of its 100 year Do plus you know, span. I have any idea how gay <laughs> wrestling it's is. So gay. I hate to break it to you guys, but the bullies had a little bit of a point back in the day. A little bit of a point. It's a little bit homoerotic at least you have to admit that. So, yeah, the fact that we don't know that she's gay doesn't mean anything because, you know, we don't know who anyone's gay because it's all very private and like, personal. Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan yeah. Knox have, have come out as being in a couple. And I'm like, my God, like it, it, my heart swells with happiness. But like, in no way in my mind is like, yeah, first time ever two, <laughs> two women or two men are going out and wrestling. Yeah, fucking right. Yeah, come it's on. the first time that it's been publicised. It's the first time we've reached a point in society where people feel able to come out and talk about that stuff. The privacy with May really struck true to me you know, and again, I know we're speculating here, but like, even if it is just kind of being gender fluid or not fitting into that kind of role, like my my dad always tells me the kind of horror stories of when he was training to be a doctor, and he he did his training year in a mental asylum uh, in rural Western Ireland, which, if you can imagine, in the seventies was full of people who were not necessarily mentally unwell. Like he was like, there was a guy I met every day, and like he'd been there for thirty years. He just happened to be gay in a rural village in Galway, and oh, you know Jesus. he'd been there since the forties. Yeah, you know because. He happened to be gay. And he said, if there's anything wrong with him, it was probably the result of him being institutionalized for 30 years for being yeah, gay. Absolutely. So, like, we're not saying it flippantly. Like, privacy is probably, like, not just uh, an, a virtue. It's, it's a, a matter of safety. Yeah, and it's, it's a matter of, of well-being, for sure. Now, May, there are gaps throughout her, her career now before we get to WWE. And some of the main gaps occur in the 70s and the 80s, where she seems to have kind of disappeared from the limelight altogether. There was an incident at one point in her career where the heir apparent to Mildred Burke, at least in Billy Wolf's eyes, was going to be the new adoptive daughter of Billy Wolf. And oh, for God's sake. In the kind of scariest, weirdest scenario possible, if you didn't think the Mildred Burke stuff was weird, he had her sequestered away in this like little room up kind of... It was kind of like Macho Man and Liz, except right. imagine if Macho Man was a promoter and wanted Liz to be the top star. Okay. So he had her training non-stop she was kept away from everyone no one was allowed to socialise with her da, 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 da. and they were like she's going to be the champion the next big star and she'd be put out in the ring and people were like she's not ready yet and then if someone said that it's like well then you're not ready you're fired wow okay and May was in a tag match with this girl 18 years old she was and they said like pretty much immediately they could tell something was wrong with her she was like dizzy she was lightheaded. May was saying like she thought she was like overly dehydrated and she she died in the ring. Now there's yeah they say in this documentary she, she's so young. So apparently she, before the match she was complaining to Moolah that she had a splitting headache and she'd like landed on her head or something a week or she, so. She couldn't prior. do bumps properly basically. Yeah, she, yeah. She, she landed wrong and she hadn't felt the same since mm. and there was a strong possibility that she had broken her neck and then or like, I'll, I'll take notes of this when I'm training people there. Yeah. <laughs> broken neck make train very good yes. <laughs> and she literally was just like forced to go out on a match anyway she was sort of like yeah we don't care that you have this massive headache and you could have like a concussion or a broken neck you're going out anyway. It's the second time on this podcast where we've talked about a wrestler who's been in the ring with someone who's died. It happened with Rey Mysterio as well. Yeah. And certainly it is probably on all the things that can happen to you as a performer in wrestling other than dying or, you know, 
being paralyzed or seriously injured in a career-altering way or a life-altering way, but just in terms of you being physically okay and what happens in the ring, how do you begin to process someone whose body is in your hands? Say nothing of the fact that she's this 18-year-old, innocent, sequestered away girl. So kind of the gaps in her appearances in the 70s and 80s, even though they've maintained that she did do some like kind of local indies and stuff and she did wrestle in Kansas where she lived at the time, you know, you couldn't see why she would kind of bow out a bit. And so the, she did after that then? It's it, never officially. Right. But there's claims that she was retired in the 70s. There's also claims that in the 70s, she went to become an evangelical preacher. Wow, okay. And then after a few months, completely renounced it, gave it up, and that was that she went off to, to live with her with her, with her her mum and her family again. But again, there is a kind of a, no more wrestling for me, something completely different. Okay, maybe some more wrestling. And, you know, someone dying in the ring happens along there. Yeah. I mean, Ray, his spirituality was a, was a big thing mm. with him. And I think, I think it was definitely clear that if you have spirituality or a connection to, 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 to a God or a higher power, whatever gives you solace, it can certainly help in these moments. And mm. I, I wouldn't surprise me again, we're speculating here, but the evangelical preacher and, a young girl dying at your hands in the wrestling ring. I mean, born-again Christians in wrestling go hand in glove. Yeah. You know, so what we then have then is her over the course of the 80s, her family kind of slowly die off. She's left on her own. She moves in with Moolah and Katie Diamond. It's around this time as well, she's doing more kind of indie shots around there. The one fun thing I did find was that she would, when she was advertised for a show like the 80s or the early 90s, she put up her old pin-up picture. Like, you know, it's Johnny May Young. It's like her, like, you know, 21, like, yeah. pouting or whatever. And she'd come out like 63 years old. <laughs> and like, that was like the gimmick was that like, she would still wrestle and kick ass. And like, amazing. the stories of the time were that she would surprise others as almost as much as she surprised herself how much she could still do it. So, it's a real shame because I, I feel like I've seen none of her from that era. I don't mm. think I've seen even a picture of her in her 60s. No. Whereas, like, Moolah, Everywhere. there's so much footage of her in her, like, middle age slash early older years. Yeah. Wrestling, doing TV work, interviews. And particularly now when we're into the 80s, what's another big female wrestling outfit that you can think of that may be on a streaming network? Glow, that- right? Glow, right? Yeah. And I think... There is a power of women's wrestling, and the fact that past the present or what was attempted to be the future in Glow didn't seem to connect up at all that much, because where did Glow run out of? Las Vegas. Oh, right, of course, yeah. And where in the early 90s and late 80s did Moolah start running shows? Las Vegas. Vegas. Oh, right, I see. She ran in opposition to them with the LIWA, <sighs> which is the Ladies International Wrestling Association, which Moolah ran out... And it worked out of Las Vegas in the 90s and the 80s. And the idea was, is I think it was meant to be kind of like a reunion show for kind of the Golden Gals of wrestling. There would be some kind of up-and-comer wrestlers who would wrestle there, some young girls. They brought over like Bull Nakano and some of the women from Japan who would wrestle the main events. But it was Moolah and May were kind of like the featured tag match. And I think it was during this period, and they got a lot of press, like, you know, they did like, oh, the Golden Girls of Wrestling are coming back for one show. I think they kind of ran in opposition to Glow, where it's like, these little girls, they don't know how to wrestle. But like, we're, we're the proper, you know, the wrestlers you grew up with. We're not like most girls. Me, 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 me. I think I'm not like most girls from Moolah is, uh, is yeah. <laughs> particularly dark, so I didn't take on that. And again, the stories from this time was, whoa, they were surprising. Like, May seemed to surprise people almost as much as she surprised herself what she could still do. Mm. Because May Young, even in her 60s, and then in her 70s, and her 80s, and her 90s, was still in amazing condition. 
Because I'm now, folks at home, are you ready? About to reveal to you the ultimate workout technique that Mae Young did to keep in amazing condition. And keep this in mind when we're talking about all the WWE stuff that comes in the 80s. She had kidney failure and lost a kidney. She did all of this with one kidney. Wow. If you have one kidney, it cuts your life expectancy significantly. God. Say nothing of the fact that you're a wrestler as well. She did leg raises and crunches Every night, every morning, 200 of each. 200 of each every yeah. night and every morning? Well, we're not going to do, you know, was it a thousand for every year Jesus Christ was born? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that's what May did. And apparently, she 100% attributed her longevity, the fact that her back was still in good nick, and that the fact that even though she was a bit hunched, she could still take bumps and all that jazz, and that she could still was mobile, 100% down to that routine. God. So there you go. Maybe we start doing some uh, crunches and leg raises, huh? I hate how there's all these like really cool wrestlers with like these ridiculous workout regimens, and I kind of always assume they're going to be really complicated, like the Ric Flair ones, where you have to like run up and down a hill. Or first, you do five lines of coke, <laughs> and then five minutes of stairmaster. Carry Ricky the Dragon Steamboat <laughs> on your back up a hill. Woo! I drop Ricky the Dragon Steamboat down some stairs. Better do another line. Woo! <laughs> But, like, there's all these other wrestlers like Terry Funk and such who just, like, have this really simple workout yeah, regime. Terry Funk just, just like, did sit-ups. Yeah, just, just do a bunch of sit-ups. Do a thousand sit-ups. Yeah. There you go. And do them every day. It's so much like <laughs> One Punch Man. It is. <laughs> what? Mae Young, that is just regular strength training and not even that intensive. <laughs> so, yeah, I think what happened around this time, and you'll never know who's feeding Vince who, was it Russo? Was it Bruce Pritchard? Was it Jim Cornette? I suspect it may have been Cornette because Cornette had more of a kind of a toe in the water of like classic wrestling and the kind of... Yeah, he'd have been involved from the beginning. Yeah, and they, with the LIWA in Las Vegas, what they would do is they'd have a show, but then they'd do kind of like a charity banquet afterwards to try and like raise money for the girls and stuff like that. But you can see how one of the guys who was in Vince's ear would literally be like, shit, Moulin May. You know, you got the history with Moolah there and Wendy Richter, the women's championship. Mae Young can make up for any character or <laughs> physical... I mean, honestly, May I think, sold the package. Oh, yeah. Because someone obviously saw her bumping her ass off in Las Vegas and said, that's going to be great on Russo, Raw, and SmackDown. The thing I was most surprised about when we watched everything for this was just how shit Moolah is. Like, she just sucks so bad. She misses her cues so often. She's uncharismatic. She can't talk. She can't wrestle. She doesn't take a bump. She's lazy. Like, she's just shit all over. Like, I always thought she was such a legend that she'd be good. Mm. But, like, she's just a worse Hulk Hogan. Yeah, honestly, she she comes across, like, really bitter people used to describe, like, Ric Flair to me when I, in the 90s. Like, oh, she's not that good. But no, she actually is not that good. And I always found as well, particularly, like, the original storylines they tried to play with Moolah and May coming in. Well, like, May was 77 when she first came into WWE. Moolah would have been 73 or 74 thereabouts. But they were brought in originally because Jeff Jarrett. Do you remember way back in our China episode, Jeff and China had a match, a good housekeeping match? Yes. Yes. And because Jeff Jarrett thought that women should be in the kitchen. And men should be in the living room signing up for Global Force Gold and giving me your credit card details. <laughs> <laughs> the idea was that he thought that, oh, women, you know, shouldn't wrestle men and all that. And he brought out Moulin May Young to kind of be like, in your day, the, the boys play with the boys and the girls play with the girls and the girls play in the kitchen, right? But like, we sh- watched the segment and Moolah was so uncharismatic that people started cheering Jeff Jarrett, the misogynist. 
She's like, you never fight the guys, would you? And she's like, well, <laughs> the so-called boom. She's so boring. And I thought as well that was like the point. I thought that was like deliberate. Oh, no. And I was no. like, oh, no, that's not deliberate. She's just really bad. So Mula gets smacked with a guitar quite late. Uh, yes. She misses her cue. But then Mae Young, starting as she means to go on, gets put in a move you now proclaim to be one of the sorest submission holes in all of wrestling. The dreaded figure four leg lock. Yeah, now I've had that done to me, I can really appreciate how tough she is because those little old lady legs. Oh, Joe, I had a fucking time watching all of May. Because, like, I think we may have watched almost all of May Young's yeah. entire, like, on-camera appearances that we could have. <laughs> she's selling it like it's like a Ric Flair. Yeah, she's doing double sla- arms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, it's fucking incredible. <laughs> like, that was the best thing about May. Is that Mula would come in and someone would like do like a shove or a punch and you fall over like a house of cards. And then just lie there. And then May would come in and take a move that you would go, no, no, she's not taking that. <laughs> Angle, Kurt Angle, in his rookie year, Joe. What was it, the Olympic slam or yeah. something? <laughs> he did it higher and better than Chris Jericho would have taken the move. May takes it. She literally, her legs go like completely up in yeah. the air. And Kurt apparently was like, I bet. Because Kurt was like maybe three or four months into his run. Yeah, no fucking pressure. The legacy. You've got this like legitimate <laughs> legend you have to wrestle and she's an old woman. And she went up and she literally was like, oh, it's okay, Kurt, don't worry. It'll but be don't fine. you dare go easy on me. But apparently in, in Kurt's case, he was she was apparently really sweet to him. Oh, really? That's Because nice. she could tell how nervous he Aww. was and she knew that he was new. So she was like, don't worry, it'll be okay. It's just, just Bubba Ray Dudley. Just don't take, it e- don't take it easy on me. Just like, it'll go worse if you do it softly on me. Yeah. And you see all the stuff with Moolah and you know exactly why it is because... If Mae Young was in the ring and Kurt Angle went to do the Olympic Slam and Mae kind of didn't go up high enough or kind of flopped over to the side or it was shit, who do you think would get the blame? It'd be Mae, the old woman. She mm. did it wrong. Whereas in like the case, a lot of times we saw with Mae, it was like, we saw like Prince Albert, who was a young, it would have only 20 something. And he was like, yeah. he was so scared. So gentle. He looked like, I don't know, like a dog playing with a child, like a big, nice golden retriever, pl- gently playing with a toddler. Like, but like it looked like shit. And again, like if you're watching that, you kind of go, "Well, it looks like shit because it's an old woman." Whereas May is like, if you laid it in and he laid it in, and she would have been fine. Yeah, it would have looked great, yeah. and you would have thought, "Well, good job, Prince Albert looks great." Like she was there to help the guys look like killers. Yeah. It's one of the biggest character moments from early heel Kurt Angle, from going from goofy, like, why don't you cheer me? To like, I'm going to attack an 80-year-old woman. And then drop to my hands and knees and go, yeah, woo! Jim Ross goes, what kind of human being is Kurt Angle? What kind of human being does that to an 80-year-old woman? Imagine how hard it would have been, not only to do that, but then also celebrate afterwards without because like my gut would be like to check in on him are you okay you're right I haven't broken anything but no he has to like go the opposite direction and leave so of course the the legendary stories with Pubba Ray Dudley powerbombed her off the stage you know off the big ramp where you've got the titantron the big screen and all that through tables like that is a move that they would be hesitant to do on a full time wrestler (laughs) you know of any age yes alone that and the story is she literally told him beforehand like don't you fucking take it easy on me. And like, he literally has her up in the powerbomb and she's there saying, don't you fucking take it easy on me. It's like Vince. <laughs> and you I, better beat me up for real. Yeah, it's... 
I, I, that's, I don't understand that selflessness, though, when you don't own the company, like, you know? <laughs> How much is she being paid for this, do you think? I well, honestly don't think she cares about the money. I think she, I think they, these women, her and Moolah definitely got paydays that no woman has ever gotten in wrestling. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not saying that the money wasn't good, but I don't think that's, I don't think she's like Moolah and that she did it for the money. I think she genuinely, she seems like such a huge wrestling fan. And I think a part of it for Moolah definitely was, I think the brand and the package of Moolah and May as this kind of... She's a very clever business lady. She really yeah. knew that May could offer a lot to their relationship. You know, these two women were 10 years younger. They would have had a reality show. Yes. And you know, we, we saw them on Conan O'Brien. You could tell like there was a, a, a want there to do the kind of the crazy grannies like type of thing. But in 2000, like they were obviously just a little too old yeah. for it to actually work. But you could tell like that's exactly the route they would have been on. Like, yeah. You could see May or Moolah on like Total Divas. They would have absolutely put them on there. Oh like, yeah, 100%. Un- yeah. Unquestionably. An absolute baller of a story, though, that comes along the same lines as all of these. You know, Bubba Ray and Kurt Angle. Hardcore Holly is someone who you've seen very rarely, uh, mainly just in the background when Adam and I are, are watching things for the Attitude Era podcast. But you did see Bob and his cousin Crash knock over Moolah because they were disgusted about her being in love with, with Mark Henry. Yes. Now, he was instructed in the match to clothesline her. <laughs> and Bob is... Many things, but Bob is certainly a professional and an old curmudgeon and certainly the type of person who believes that if you hit someone hard, it's for the best and for the business. Okay. So he was still very apprehensive about hitting May. And May went up to him and he said, seriously, just lay it in exactly like you would with any of the boys. Because if you don't, it'll look like shit and you'll you'll end up looking like shit. And he said, okay. And then he went out there and he hit her as hard as he could with the clothesline. He fucking knocked her clock off and he was immediately like, uh oh. And then he went backstage and just went, you fucking pussy. <laughs> <laughs> idea of Mae Young calling hardcore Holly a pussy for hitting her as hard as he could and he did is amazing it is so amazing (laughs) so the love story between Mae Young and Mark Henry Joe Mm. a tale as old as time itself is it Uh, were you surprised to learn that Mark Henry the world's strongest elder statesman of, of pro wrestling were you surprised to see that he was a kind and gentle lover to Johnny Mae Young to 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 May Young, yes, kind and gentle lover. I'm not surprised. I feel like that. I knew that about him. Isn't I think his name in China, didn't it? Because he was wooing China, sexual yeah, chocolate, sexual chocolate. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that before. I won't give it all to you. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> Mark Henry was a sex addict. <laughs> okay. Which in 1999 is a hilarious affliction to have. So yeah. like, oh, like sex, and they do things like the Godfather would be like, "You're going to put me out of business, Mark, because you're 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 going through all these hoes at a rate of knots." And they would put him into sex therapy, and then he like hit on his sex therapist. <laughs> There's literally a bit where it's like, "Hello, I'm Dr. Andrea Early. I'm I am your sex therapist." He's like, "Hello," and he goes to, like touch her breast. He's like, "No, Mark, oh no." My God. Like, he's literally like like this dog basically chasing cars. And he goes through all these ups and downs. He betrays his good friend Devo Brain, as we talked about in that episode, because of his, his insatiable lust for women and his insatiable lust for life. And who could put manners on him? It was woman enough for sexual chocolate. It was only Mae Young who, as soon as he fell in love with Mae, was just like, no more womanizing. He's focused on, on just his, his, his sweetheart and he would be very sweet and kind to her and he would go and take her out in nice dinners and they would have lengthy, episode-long lovemaking sessions and we cut back to them eating edible panties and stuff like that. 
we watched the whole Valentine's segment where these two um, celebrated the most romantic day of the Hallmark calendar. Uh, were you impressed with May's performance as she was in the bedroom with an incredibly nervous Mark Henry? Oh, bless him. He is so nervous. Yeah, I mean, she does her job. There... I'm slightly sad that I kind of got my hopes up a little bit with mm. some of these segments. I really hoped she would get to talk more than she mm. did. And it seems like a lot of her role in this era of WWE is to kind of like go through a lot of tables, take a lot of spots and bumps, but not actually say much at all. Yeah, and like, I think... Most of the stuff with Mark Henry, she's just going, oh, sweetie, you're sweetie, you're such a sweetie. And it's like, okay, you're an old woman. We yeah, <laughs> like I think my favourite segment with her... And I was so happy that I was able to find it online for you for you to watch was her being left with the Acolyte Protection Agency by Mark Henry because her Mark's opponents like Bob Holly and whatnot were so disgusted. They'd be like, Ew, look at them, they're in love. It makes me sick. <laughs> and of course when they announced that they were pregnant, it got even worse. So he was really worried, like she's with child, he doesn't want any of these baddies to like beat her up and cause anything to go wrong with the baby. So he leaves her with the Acolyte Protection Agency. Now Acolyte Protection Agency. Have you seen these guys before? Are you familiar with them? I didn't think I had seen them before. And then just as the segment ended, I realized one of them was JBL. <laughs> what do you think of the APA? What's the APA? What are they all about? Like, What do they do, these guys? Huh? I don't know. They seem to gamble a lot yeah. and smoke cigars and drink beer. It's a beautiful scenario where like they're left basically to babysit May. And they're like they're playing cards and drinking beers and smoking cigars in the corner. And May's like, oh, you got a good hand there. And then like you thread the night you cut back and then it's like she then she's playing cards and then she's winning and then she's like you got one of those cigars have you and she's like you know she chomps off the end she's inhaling it and they're like you're not meant to inhale it and she's like shut the fuck up like, what you're saying <laughs> and then she drinks all their beer and she, they're like and Farouk there's a bit where he literally puts his hand up to literally cover the camera and like break the fourth wall he's like May, you're with child. Are you sure this is a good idea? Like, and long before Nikki Bella and Total Bellas was there going, actually, I'm allowed to have one. May Young was fighting for the right for, for women to drink while pregnant. God bless her. She wins all the money, smokes all the cigars, and pays off the APA to beat up her boyfriend's persecutors. It's a very sweet moment. But I kind of feel like the stories of May that we've heard, you want to see more of that May on TV than we did. I do, and that's the thing. Like, it seems like genuinely Mae Young as a human being, as a person, and not as a character, is so much more interesting than mm. her character. Yeah. And, like, that doesn't happen often in wrestling where you have, like, this cool character but the the person themselves is, like, way more interesting. I mean, I think there's a few times where WWF have been guilty of this where they've had someone who's got a really interesting story like you know like Meng I think is someone we could talk about who's like I think it's impossible for his wrestling character to be as interesting as his real life character he's the really scary guy yeah Haku yeah, yeah. so you know it's just there's certain people who's I think legend just is like or the stories about them are so big that they could never really do it justice mm. as a character but May it feels like there was money on the table in that yeah, sense yeah like if they wanted edgy old women like she is legitimately you know she was legitimately an edgy old woman like you don't don't even need to just have her go through tables like let her 
I don't know, cut promos and stuff and like do interviews and things. It, like she's so to, funny. It's down to the writers because like some of the writers seem to understand it a lot. Like they used her very early on for like, you know, when Stephanie was getting married, like she was one of the bridesmaids, but they did loads of great stuff where like Stephanie was having her bridal shower in the background. May is like doing shots <laughs> or like when the stripper gram shows up, May is like, no, he's mine. Like she takes, takes her away. Like, you know, they did lots of little character bits like that, but I feel like some of the writers were like, what if she just got hit? <laughs> or what if she just did the Bronco Buster? Yeah. You know, and there is an unfortunate truth about this thing. We, we talked a little bit before about, like, maybe it did some harm in holding back women's wrestling. And they did do a storyline with, like, Ivory in 1999 where it's like, you know, I'm meant to be a legitimate women's champion. These old fossils are coming in and all they're doing is, like, stripping women or, like, you know, doing stupid shit. And they're, you know, they're holding me down. They're holding me back. And Ivory was always great for playing the character who was voicing her legitimate concerns backstage. But... I think as much as they managed to strengthen their own legacies, I think they were fooling themselves if they thought they were elevating women's wrestling and particularly the legacy of their colleagues from Mm. the 50s because the story became Mae Young, you know, she's wrestled for many decades and Hall of Famer Fabulous Moolah. That was it. You know that Moolah held the belt for for 30 years. So you're basically saying they are women's wrestling and there's a lot of bitterness with Moolah and Mae from their contemporaries as a result of that. And May never won a belt, right? May won the NWA US Women's Championship, which is kind of like the number two belt. But right. I can probably tell you that a number two women's championship in the 30s and 40s isn't necessarily doesn't like... Mean much, it yeah. doesn't mean a whole thing. So It's weird, isn't it, to have like two women from that era and only one of them has actually held a belt and she held it like for three generations or something like Like, i know when lipstick and dynamite came out there was a more bad blood because the idea was that they would do all media appearances together and then it was kind of like you know moolah and may were like the stars from wwe so they ended up getting like all the the media appearances and all the interviews and stuff like that and again it was kind of made out like it was their story right when i just think there are so many people there are so many people i'm i'm sorry there's probably millions of names of accomplished women's wrestlers from the time who i've not mentioned i certainly feel it's a topic we want to revisit in earnest in in future for sure but while you were doing things i mean we ex- talked about frustrations about this in the attitude podcast when you had like J- ivory there and jacqueline like women who actually knew how to wrestle and could wrestle and this is the same jackie who was jackie moore in tna with gail and they're not on pay-per-view but moolah and may are like stripping someone in a swimming pool or something like that instead wait so what but like they would th- they would do all the kind of strip matches and then they would kind of put Moolah and May in them then, like, you know, or like have them run out and like, you know, try and take the clothes off the women and stuff like that. So what, they'd have like these young, hot women in not much clothing do like a sexy style match. Yeah. And then at the end, May and Moolah would come in and yes. get undressed. May usually would get undressed or they would undress the girls. Right, okay. And like, we've talked about it, but like the amount of times where there's been like a bra and panties match where May's been a surprise entrant. Or mm-hmm. we're going to talk here now about the, the Miss Rumble swimsuit contest where... I I honestly believe Vince McMahon, in his heart of hearts, the funniest thing that he could do in life is like wait outside your door if you're having sex, wait until the last moment, and then kick it and go. Ah! <laughs> oh man! Oh, was that you were gonna come? <laughs> or like just like kind of Vince like likes the idea of like tantalizing and like kind of doing this really sexualized stuff and then like 
ruining it in his mind. I don't know why the fuck he does it. It's weird. I wonder if it's a kinky thing, like a partly a humiliation type thing, because there's a lot of links between like humiliation and like sexual preferences and stuff. Whatever it is, Vince McMahon wouldn't be able to describe it to you. No, I don't think he would. You know, it's the same way like Vince McMahon just kind of got that lizard brain. Yeah, you know? it's just but something he likes. <laughs> it's something he likes and he's compelled to do. But like a lot of Mays appearances were like when it's kind of like oh no you know we're having a bikini contest da, 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 and then here's may like because that kind of became a big part of of her run was that she was kind of like the anti-sex punchline so to speak which takes us to the first ever miss rumble bikini contest for the royal rumble 2000 sorry you say first ever were there others uh no and i do recall to this day my friend who was like this is ridiculous they said she had the first annual miss rumble bikini <laughs> contest 20 years later you know you, yeah women have got a royal rumble now but you don't have your bikini contest oh, anymore no quality no does. quality whatsoever now this was a it's a parade of babes here, Joe. Yeah. But I couldn't help but be a little bit like, I think once lady number four comes out in her bikini, <laughs> it's usually when you're like, wow, this is really just what they're using the women for here. And it's awkward as well because, and I don't want to say like it's awkward because of what Ivory does, but like Ivory really makes and i'm glad she does it she really makes it feel uncomfortable because she comes out in a bikini but she's wearing a big yellow fleece over the top like the exact kind of fleece your mum wears when she goes to a car boot sale yeah there's big we're tight for time energy on yeah. that fleece it's cold sure. we don't know when we're gonna be able to get lunch so i came to be wrap up warm and there's certainly no time for a bikini contest <laughs> and she looks pissed she looks rightfully pissed off she looks pissed as well as beautiful, but again, course, I mean, yeah. I've, I've watched I've watched many a shoot interview with Ivory where she's like, "Why would you put me out there in my bikini with my short arms and my stubby legs?" And I was Aww. like, "Oh, I just I hate I hate hearing that like yeah. that." And that's like you know, Gail Kim talked about that recently. She's yeah. like, "Look, for you, it's just a match where something silly happens, but like if you're remotely self conscious, going yeah. out and saying, hey, strip her until you get stripped,' it's like it's- yeah, or like stand in front of a panel of judges while you're wearing like as little clothing as possible, and there's like a stadium full of people like probably chanting that you're a cum slut or something." Yeah, the uh, the, the 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 panel of judges is a distinguished panel here. Uh, We've got Fabulous Muda, Sergeant Slaughter, Johnny V. Is that President Bartlett? <laughs> no, Joe, he's a side character from The Sopranos, I'll have you know. <laughs> and from the Conan O'Brien show, Andy Richter is here as well. What? He looks so uncomfortable to be here. Oh, yeah. It's like he was told, you be a guest. And then it's like, can you be a judge? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's all right. Now, this is a very, very well-remembered moment in wrestling history for a lot of fans, particularly in the UK, because this pay-per-view was the first one that was broadcast for free on Channel 4 back in the day. So all of us who were excitedly staying up late to watch Taz debut against Kurt Angle and Cactus Jack and Mick Foley to lock horns, we were and, and also we watched loads from this pay-per-view because we did Hardys and Dudley's tables matches as well. Yeah. Huh? But uh, on this pay-per-view as well, we had, of course, the uh, this, this Miss Rumble swimsuit contest. Just bear in mind as we're going through this show, Channel 4 thought that they were getting wrestling from the 80s. Like, they thought it was still like, take your vitamins and say your prayers and don't take off your top, this 80-year-old lady. (laughs) How did they think that? Because they were, and I have this on good authority, a great bunch of lads. Uh, Okay, you know the Armando Iannucci show sketch about all the idiots making telly? Yeah. Yes, uh, imagine, we're so good at television. Yeah, yeah imagine them booking wrestling. That's kind of like, we'll play it on Channel 4. We'll do we're, it at 1am. We're so good at wrestling. <laughs> we're so good at wrestling. Wait a minute, hang on. What if the eight-year-old woman takes off her top? Easy, we'll, we'll turn it to black and white. We're so good at wrestling. We're so good at wrestling. 
<laughs> so uh, there were some standout performers here because when Terry Ruddles undressed, you were like, I want that robe. Yeah, there was a lot of outfits I wanted. I can't remember who it was. Was it Terry who wore the like the, the flesh-coloured, sparkly yeah. bodysuit? And, and Terry Ruddles, who I had to explain to Joe, who very much of the, you'd appreciate the panto background, you know, mm. of playing to the audience in the back. Because yeah. Terry would wear wrestling gear and bikinis that would be flesh coloured so the people at the back would be like is she naked? Yeah. You know kudos Terry kudos. (laughs) (laughs) And Jacqueline again wearing a fantastic outfit. I've just got yeah Luna Vachon who I did not recognise. I've never seen her look like that before. Yeah it says a lot that even in the year 2000 you had like at least a third of the women literally did not want to be there. Yeah. BB looked like she didn't want to be there but she hadn't figured out why yet. Oh yeah which one was BB? BB Barbara Bush who in kayfabe is an EMT turned bikini model wrestler. Uh, She was the busty blonde lady i really don't remember not her. not that busty blonde lady no not that busty blonde lady mm. the busty blonde lady in the red robe oh okay yeah 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 i remember her that was a nice robe yeah yeah <laughs> she looked kind of kind of upset like yeah kind of like she was bored like didn't usually, want to be there usually most robe unveilings don't begin with a <sighs> honestly none of the women in this seemed like they wanted to be there like jacqueline seemed angry Ivory seemed angry. Terry seemed okay, like she Terry was Terry seemed like she was into it, yeah, but of course she would be as Terry. BB seemed bored. Luna seemed like a bit confused as to why she'd been invited. And, and the cat just seemed like, it's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll come along for this. Yeah, honestly, it was... Something to do, I guess. <laughs> it was very much like the... Uh, the like. The women in the ring surrounded by these like legion of guys. Like, they were not having as good a time as anyone else. And you know else. what? I take it back. I don't even think that Terry seemed like she wanted to be there. It was more like she was putting on a professional face for like a job. <laughs> she oh, yeah. was like, I'm going to put on a show. I'm going to show everyone what they want to see. And, and I will have you know, <laughs> Joe, that there was a contingent of us fans who were adamant that Terry Runnels was robbed of the Miss Rumble swimsuit uh, uh, <laughs> moniker. The sash was hers, rightly. She clearly won on bikini, form, poise, mm-hmm. minimal judge interaction. But Mae Young comes out in her swimsuit, and what I can just also say is a hell of a robe. Oh yeah, I love the robe. <laughs> I like it as well with Mae. That she has clearly all of her outfits, all the robes, all the stuff from her heyday still. And she still fits into all of it as well. Yeah, it's amazing. It's pretty impressive. Did you expect to happen what happened here when May came out? Because you were like a bit arms folded a bit, if I might I say at this point. Yeah, I didn't really know what to expect. So... What happens is... <laughs> you were like, that's not a proper bikini, boo. <laughs> yeah, the, the annoying thing was is that May wasn't even wearing a bikini. And it's like, this is a bikini contest. So why... I mean, I know she's old. I know she's not attractive to you younger men. But like, I want to see her in a bikini. <laughs> I don't know why I just heard you in Stone Cold's voice like, this ain't a swimsuit contest. <laughs> it's a bikini contest. But it is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got your wish, don't worry. And I'm not normally the type of person to be like, these women should undress more for me. But genuinely, apparently, Mae Young loved getting naked all the time. Like, she's like Ric Flair and she just wants to take off her clothes. So let her. It obviously makes people very uncomfortable and I like that. So she starts... (laughs) (laughs) You're talking about Mae, not Rick, right? Yeah, okay. She starts to take off her clothes and she unzips her swimsuit and like takes off the top part and like gets her tits out basically and then mark henry has to run in and cover her up what do you think of jerry lawler's selling like because it looks like he got hit by force lightning he's like 
Yeah, I like this. I just want to trap Jerry Lawler in like a loop. In a loop. You know that episode of Black Mirror where yeah. the guy gets like put in the keychain. He's screaming uh, forever in a, in a void. I want to put yeah Jerry Lawler trapped in a keychain. He has to look at an old woman's breasts. Puppies. It was, uh, it was very funny and not even his future wife cat could uh, provide him any solace during these uh, <laughs> trying times the judges unanimously declare may young the winner and that's my favorite thing as well yeah. and they don't even like i mean obviously it's for laughs but they don't play it up for no, laughs it's like she won it's like yeah we all agree she's very hot and may young is the rightful winner because she got her boobs and we love boobs and i just think that's so funny but they censored her boobs not live live the big red x that appeared it didn't appear oh. and i'll tell you when i was watching that and all of a sudden it's like channel four royal rumble shows up i'm like okay has the feed went down is the corporate ministry at it again? What's going on here? And then it came back and it was like, you know, black and white. They put like blurs on the screen. It was, it was an absolute fucking fiasco. So, so you saw her boobs? Very briefly, yes. Wow. Although I can now reveal, and uh, spoilers ahead, folks, I'm about to break some of the magic of kayfabe. May was in fact wearing a very, very real-to-life prosthesis on uh, her chest. Okay. So it wasn't her actual bare chest. It was a mottled fake. Uh, fake thing that had been applied to her i would say you wouldn't have known when she came out it didn't no. look obvious at all no not at all and I, I say this i say this having watched triple h being bitten by a snake and kane be burned in inverted commas this is the best prosthetic work wwe has ever done <laughs> we say this on the eve of i versus yeah, i, CGI, I <laughs> Yes, I'm very refreshed to see old lady boobs in wrestling because I feel like so often you got to see like, you know, there was these like sexualized moments where like wrestlers outfits kind of came off when they weren't supposed to. And it was like, a, oh, flash of tit. Yeah. yeah, my moment of masturbation is finally here. I'm going to pause it and jerk off. I'm really glad that um, many erections were probably either complicated or... <laughs> Or outright ruined by Mae Young's low-hanging fruit. <laughs> Maybe I'll reach out to my boys at Tantric to uh, write, you know, do a cover of Avril Lavigne for you know all of us who experienced uh, the confusing moment. Or tell me why you got to go make it so complicated. <laughs> I see the way. <laughs> so yeah, I mean May. May and Mula, and it's one of the reasons why I always maintained that like 99 and early 2000s of the WWE, as salacious as it was, it's never as like as out and out bad as it became after the Attitude Era. Because yeah. when we're in 2003 and 2004, it's like, well, you know, Mula and May may show up now and then, but like, it, like they were here every other week at this point in time. Like they were involved in loads of storylines. So yeah, like it was much more of a, you know, don't worry, there's not going to be an old lady show. Like, I think that's the only bikini contest May showed up in. Like, there was like a dozen million other ones where there was no such a mm. spoiler moment provided. So, And was May ever involved in like a bra and panties match? Like actually like competing? Yes, yes actually. It was one of the, it, on, over on Patreon, where we do pay-per-view classic, because as everyone loves MTV wrestling as much as we do, we've been reviewing classic pay-per-views and letting fans decide. Last month was actually Billy's Picks. And one of the 
Losing entries was New Year's Revolution 2006 because it had a bra and panties gauntlet match on it. What is that? Where it's basically two women start in the ring once one woman's clothes has been removed another woman comes out and then they kept going until all the women had entered oh the match. Oh my god, and that's so dumb. May was one of the last entries and she came out and... Oh, I want her to be one of the first entries and then do a Ric Flair no. and <laughs> stay in for like 40 minutes. <laughs> Bobby Heenan will come through. Yes, 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 yes. I swear to God, I'll do anything good if she wins that. Or maybe it could be Jerry Lawler because he doesn't want her to lose. Yeah. You know, I swear to God, I'll never do anything bad again. I'll just don't let her lose, please. <laughs> but they did a bit where she came out, and I can't remember if she first stripped. And it was her and Victoria. And I was, oh, Victoria. I felt so bad because Victoria was like, you know, probably the most, like she was like the one wrestler in the match in the match that was full of like, you know, kind of demons models and models and, and such, yeah. you know. And yeah, she was in there and she was the one who had to be stripped by May and Mula. And when they came out, like, you can literally see her when they're trying to remove her top. It's like, poof, like, you know, really like just not careful. And like two women trying to remove, like she's wearing like kind of a crop top and she's obviously wearing like a bra with another bra. And right. she's they're, like kind of like accidentally taken off the two oh. bras. And you just, it felt bad because like, you know, after Gail Kim's tweet, you kind of feel a lot for like, any woman who's had to kind of, get stripped and has felt like less than okay about it in any yeah, way we haven't actually talked about that tweet since because i mean that came out after the gail kim episode yeah. but alexa bliss tweeted about three months ago she said, she said, I, I, i'm so proud of the women who she said, i have yeah. a lot of respect for the women mm. who came before us because i don't think i could have done the matches that they were put through and gail kim responded saying i've never thought about it that way um for me it was the most traumatizing experience of her life mm. that's not mincing words at all no. I mean and that's the thing is like we have in our head I think there's like women who are like in wrestling and they figured you know this was what they would be involved in they thought it was kind of like you know it was something that had you know they didn't have aspirations beyond being involved in matches that might lead to a modelling career or a playboy or you know strip matches and whatnot. and like there's nothing wrong with that like you know Stacey Heber and Tori Wilson had fine careers and did very well for themselves and made a lot of money but I think if you're someone like Victoria or Gail Kim who got into it, not to, you know, I don't think many... Hey, wrestling fan. Yeah, if you're it's... a grown-up wrestling fan, it's like, I can't wait till I get in the ring to tantalise some boys. You know, that's, that's... Take off all your clothes, that's what wrestling is. So it's never fun to see that happen. No. And then to see, like, it happens when it happens in, like, a really kind of, like, aggressive, like, you know, I don't want to say unsexy, like, but, like, you know... It was in a very harrowing kind of manner. Yeah. Happened. And then May stripped herself, thus eliminating herself from the match. Right. But, like... In a, in a sense, with Moulin May, it was somewhat diminishing returns because, like, I think they would have kept sending May out forever and ever. Like, there was one of the later spots that we saw when May was 81, I believe, with three-minute warning, which is, you know, Eric Bischoff's group he'd send out if they were boring, people were boring him on Royce. So oh, yeah, of course. The, the two heavy set guys, uh, Rosie and Jamon, they beat the shit out of people. And you know, Moolah was meant to talk about her book. <laughs> it's a really great segment for one reason. Moolah's in the ring meant to talk about her book. And Eric Bischoff, who in our mind we were like, yeah, Bischoff just knows that Moolah's a piece of shit. She's like, would you hurry up already? I can't believe how boring you are, Moolah. No one <laughs> wants to hear about the fabulous Moolah. And like, as she's there on, on, on the microphone, Mae Young keeps grabbing the microphone going, talk about Mae Young! <laughs> <laughs> Talk about me, Young. Talk more about me, Young. <laughs> <laughs> she gets really 
angry and stuff. It's like, I, lo- I love when wrestlers <laughs> demand that someone talks about something, yeah. especially if it's themselves. Yeah, because that's the most wrestling thing you can do. Yeah. But yeah, like Jamal and Rosie, like it was, you know, Moolah, typical thing. She gets like one little non-move, crawls into the corner. Mae Young takes a fucking scoop slam. Yeah. This top rope fucking splash, mm-hmm. 400 pounds. Jesus Christ. There was actually a moment, I think at some point in her 80s, and I couldn't find out the exact match. And it's hard to tell because she's quite frail in a lot of her appearances and she does kind of like lose her ability to, to fall and bump and whatnot. Uh, but there was some match in her 80s where she nearly landed on her head and she got dizzy in the ring and faint. Oh, no. And that's when it was like, right. It was after Mula had passed and they were like, right, no more. Yeah. I think we need to kind of phase her out in the ring. Yeah. Which kind of leads us to like her last on-screen appearance, which was her 90th birthday. And this happened on Old School Raw and... Uh, it, it says a lot that half of Dave Meltzer's obituary is taking up about whether or not this is actually a match or not because it doesn't take place in the For ring. For sake. But it's, it's Lakehill who have come out to interrupt Mae Young who's been honoured by the late great Mean Gene Okerlund. It's a sweet little moment. Mean Gene looks and sounds exactly the same as he always does. Yep. Which I think is one of the truest things of, uh, of, of wrestling. Like, you know, Mean Gene is like my kind of... The he's constant. The constant. He's my spinning top in uh, in Inception. He's because he looks like your dad. So what? Yeah. That's, that's why Ric Flair is mine because he looks like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we have had a lot of chat recently about how Joe's dad is like Ric Flair, and my dad is like Mean Gene, which we can't <laughs> wait until our dads meet because he'd be like, Brendan, <laughs> woo, back on, man, what's going on in Ireland? <laughs> so you want to talk us through what uh, some of the highs and lows of this segment involving may being declared uh, one of the greatest divas of all time that was somewhat awkward yeah so she was given this belt this divas belt which i forgot i didn't imagine that really did exist it did yeah big butterfly for a couple of years when yeah. i first started watching wrestling that's yeah. so weird to think that i started watching wrestling when that was how women were treated. the first wrestlemania is when they got yeah. rid of it like yeah but i mean it's so funny because like they showed up so the tv's championship was such a small non-factor yeah. on tv like three minutes a night on a three-hour show <laughs> yeah. like yeah so yeah may young gets handed this extremely prestigious championship the divas belt and she looks so unimpressed. But, but you know, not not insultingly so. Just more like, oh, this is a nice gesture. Yeah. Probably means more to you guys than to me. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's more of, like, May is definitely more for that. Like, they view May as more important to them than I think yeah. she did vice versa. Which I'm very glad for. That's the way it should be. Mm, I think so. Because you want to have a company recognising how important you are. Yeah. Too. Is it weird, like, of all the people we've done episodes on, May seems to be one of the few characters where Vince McMahon seems to like unequivocally understand her value and like respect and, her and respect yeah. it like and I think it comes from her association with Mula and mm. Mula's association with Vince's dad Vince mm. Senior it's very telling we found like a little backstage clip of Vince chatting with May after this so interesting very telling because she's like I remember your dad Vince and he's like <laughs> he reminded me so much of like when you see an aunt meet a nephew and you like the, the aunt's not seen the nephew since he was like running around naked in, in the rain pads. like yeah. <laughs> Willie. <laughs> like, that's 
definitely what she remembers Vince doing. Like. Yeah, yeah. He, Vince McMahon referring to himself awkwardly as a young pup over and over and over and over again. <laughs> Looking very embarrassed. Oh, God. It was interesting, though, with regards to the McMahon family. Stephanie had apparently had a very close relationship with May. Mm. And I think a lot of the branding and stuff that you're seeing with May Young in modern times, we'll talk about that in a moment, I think as is a result of the kind of close relationship between May and Stephanie, I think... Mm. There is, there is more there than was, I think, realised or let on. Because there's not exactly a lot of footage of the two of them, you know, nice. on screen or anything. But apparently they were very, very close indeed. And they had a, a special relationship. So Lakehill came out to interrupt Mae Young's presentation. And <laughs> you had to be reminded that you have seen Michelle McCool previously on The Undertaker's documentary series, The Lair Strat. You've watched the whole episode of that. Yes, I have. It, it was an intriguing dragon to chase. Uh, mm. But uh, Michelle McCool, what do you think to her here in her Mean Girls gimmick? I didn't hate it, but it's not as good as I hoped it would be. Nah! I... This is fucking Borat levels. Of, uh, <laughs> nah! Like, I kind of liked it in a way... Like, I don't think I liked it in the way I was supposed to like it. Right, yeah. Like, I was kind of laughing at her <laughs> okay yeah not laughing with her and i don't know if she would know but i feel there's like kind of like this there's this innate ability that i think certain white women have and especially certain white american women have which is to like be mean and dumb and karen mccool is what you're saying yeah here. karen mccool like she's an idiot mm. she's not very nice but there's something very watchable about that because you love to hate them. Yeah, I think... They're very th- despicable. Absolutely. Same um, as, like, I think it's it's easier to hate English people because we're all villains. Like, just easy to hate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think she has a, a very hateable quality to her. I think a lot of things that people hold against Michelle Bakul are... You know, I think if, if you're married to anyone in wrestling who's who, and you get any sort of a, a rub from that, you're always, yeah. you know, as a woman, you're going to be held on a different standard, persona mm-hmm. non grata or otherwise... But I do kind of feel like her mean girl gimmick here, which was being done like in TNA with the beautiful people, like exactly the same, just better and actually, you know, done authentically. I just, I hate to see people do a a treasured trope so half-assedly. I feel like I I heard so much criticism about Michelle McCool and I heard how You were expecting the worst. I really was expecting way worse. She's absolutely fine. She's fine. Fine, you know, absolutely fine. And I did like here that, you know, May is... You know, she's approaching her 90th here yeah. and she is not all there uh, you know and I think she was suffering from a little bit from dementia and stuff in her later years but like there it kind of was sweet how shambolic it all was because you had like literally 20 people there kind of be like we all just have to work together just so this woman can throw one punch and we can have this one moment and it felt like it was like a, so much effort went in there. It was like Frasier levels of like quickly, like you know, <laughs> you know, like running a restaurant type of thing. You know, and I think that is why people are. It's not a real match because you know loads of women came out there to hold May, but like May entertained me in this non-match more than a lot of actual matches have entertained me in wrestling. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't think it's fair to say that this isn't a match, but like some of the shit that goes on in Saudi Arabia is. Yeah, right. Yeah, give me Undertaker Triple H any day. Nah, give Goldberg me... Goldberg giving himself a concussion and having a match with himself. Nah, I think Mae Young versus Michelle McCool. I'll take that any day of the week because you get to have Mae Young with a live microphone. <laughs> One year into the new PG era where she calls Michelle McCool and Layla sluts and bitches in her two lines of time. 
dialogue. I love as well that she's accompanied by the Bellas. So it's like shit. hot twins, and then she's like, like so happy. She's like surrounded with all these hot women. You, you, you gotta, you gotta, you know, um, heart goes out to Nikki and Bree. You have to both be at the same time. Like you go, girl, but also like. Mm, you shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> kind of a Richard Hammond dilemma yeah. that they were in there, like where they had to both, you know, laugh but also hide their. But laughter, Bella's yeah. must disavow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she throws a punch and she pins Michelle McCool in, like you know, in in a, in a in a non-match that is as much a match as any of the other spectacles you see in in wrestling that don't happen between those four ring ropes, as Cesaro would say. Yeah, because say. let's face it, none of us want to see a person in their 60s or over having a wrestling match. No, particularly after, you know, the story I heard where she had gotten faint beforehand. Yeah. And this way, because it happened in 2010, she got to say she had her other decades. That's awesome. Which I, like, honestly, if you, whatever you think about Mae Young and whatever you think about the Fabius Moolah and therefore Mae Young's proximity to her... But I don't think anyone in their right mind is going to fucking deny this woman with one fucking kidney who has lived a fucking exceptionally, exceptionally unique, tough life where she took the hardest road possible in many respects, you know, big picture speaking. I don't think it's in any of our places, wrestling fans, to begrudge a fucking heartless billion dollar company to do one fucking nice thing so she can have a nice little feather in her cap. Yeah. What's so fucking wrong about that? The whole segment was four minutes long. No. Would you fucking no. grow up? No, because she's a woman, so it's not allowed. No. Yeah, no. I... <laughs> but like... Goldberg, that's fine that his matches are like two seconds long. That's 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 completely different. But again, I think part of it is one of the reasons why they were comfortable doing this presentation is because the presentation of May is that May was now, you know, she was this old woman. This was the character of May Young. When I started researching for this, and I have to say a huge thank you, I want a huge shout out to everyone who's been in my DMs and everyone who's tweeted in, because I needed a lot of help with this episode. And one of the reasons I'm really thankful for that is, like you saw here, like I was like, oh, we'll pop on some May Young clips. You know, we usually start our research, we'll just go to YouTube, watch some bits and kind of have a chat. Yeah. And like I went to YouTube and I was there like, oh, May Young Classic, May Young Classic, May Young Classic. Oh, Pray to Champions, May Young Classic, May Young Classic. Okay, let's try May Young WWE. And like, honestly... She's not been erased. That's not happened. Yeah. Okay. But May Young, as she now exists, is in this kind of weird future past. <laughs> like... I think it's one of the the tragic things that has happened with the evolution of search engine optimization. Yeah. That now, when you search for May Young, you you get the most optimized results as determined by Google, which it's of course classic. is going to be the. I mean, the WWE. Do you know that the WWE has the highest ranking SEO? rank in the world whoa when i used to do seo all the seo heads you're like you fucking kidding me and everyone (laughs) else is like huh (laughs) when i worked at the bank we did some seo training and this expert company from london came and they're like we're going to show you one of the best case studies in the world for seo and it was the wwe and it was like they have every top ranking that they want sorry can you just for the folks at home maybe i know i had a little joke there but could you just explain seo in like layman's terms i'm not i'm not an expert no but just so people know vaguely what talking about okay so there's like there's ways to game the system the algorithms so you're the first thing search that shows engines. Up. so you're the first thing that shows up so that means that when you search for may young the wwe have such a monopoly and so much expertise around search engine optimization that they can manipulate the results and the algorithm to show up their content as opposed to more relevant content 
to right. do with Mae Young. And because I put out one of the first podcasts seven years ago that had the name of every single Ash Gier pay-per-view followed by the word podcast afterwards, I have inadvertently search engine optimized the fuck out of the AU <laughs> podcast. And that's why you fell in love with me. <laughs> it's the SEO skills. That's what always gets yeah. in the end, fellas. <laughs> so, yeah, Mae Young, it's... I, not by design, unnecessarily. They're like, that's a race, nay, but it's kind of like the May Young Classic is more important to them than May. And I think that's yeah. I don't, as you say, I don't think it's designed that way. But it's just that is one of the sad realities of when you have this absolute control over the history of an industry, like the fact that so much of the history is steeped, you know, in the WWF, which was owned by Vince Senior, which was then inherited by Vince McMahon, Mm. which has then been inherited again by Stephanie and Triple H. And it's like, the narrative just shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and becomes more of a brand value and less of the truth and more of a these are the marketing guidelines we have to promote. Yeah, like Mae Young, as she exists currently, is like a still black and white photo with a trophy in front of her. Yes. And, like, and a lot of pictures of new women, younger <laughs> women from these days, <laughs> standing like, around it. <laughs> I'd be lying if I said it doesn't confine me a little bit, but also maybe it irritate me a little bit as well, that like if if you're going to use Mae Young, and I think rightly so, more so than Moolah, like Mae, like if you're going to pick a woman from your history to say, right, other than China, I think, yeah, the Mae Young is a really, is a really great name to use. But you can't, assumedly, kind of cover your work and not let us see what her legacy actually is anymore. Because yeah. if there is footage, you've got a WWE, we don't see it. Mm-hmm. How can that be the case, but we're also meant to be honouring her at the same time? And it's the fact that, like, they dare make out... And I know they're not like outright saying it, but they do imply that women's wrestling only got taken seriously in the last, you know, 10 years. And it was all down to the four horsewomen that like women's wrestling is now seen as like a legitimate sport. Mm. And it's like, that's, that's completely erasing the very hard work of the generations of women that came before them. And a lot of the stuff that's come out with speaking out at the moment as well, which is from, from women who I'm hearing who are in wrestling or particularly when I was saying, in our age episode, something I wanted to hear about is like kind of folks who are from maybe the nineties and the noughties, like not the, the most recent kind of crop of people, just to kind of like know what it was like for them because there's a lot of unspoken stuff that's been you know happening in terms of people's careers being held down and 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 all that. And I kind of like I I hate the fact that women who are getting the same training as men and weren't afforded the same opportunities as men, like you can be supportive of the four horsewomen and the latest crop of women without fucking burying people that came before them well, I you don't know think it's even intentional i think genuinely the dub i mean i'm not saying it's not intentional for the wwe i think that it is partly genuinely their their deliberate intent is to make out as though they want to hide the fact that they objectified these women in earlier generations mm. and you know actively tried to keep them down yeah that doesn't look good on them because they're trying to make themselves out to be a feminist brand. The thing is, like brands go through changes, companies go through all these fucking contortions, gymnastics to reframe their own history. But the reality is, you can't change the fact that if you're someone who's lived through this history, like if you're a, 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 any a women's wrestler who's come up at any point in time, you've lived through that history. It doesn't matter if they've changed it or whatnot. And the sum that May said in the Lipstick and Dynamite documentary that really struck with me, I think it's a really important point to bear in mind when you're looking at the history of, of wrestling but specifically women's wrestling she says this business changes all the time and you have to if you want to be involved in it you have to change with it you can't just sit aside and expect it to change it to be what you want it to be and that's why she fully embraced doing the comedy stuff and the new career as the older woman and maybe why she 
in an essence kind of not necessarily shunned but was more quiet about this earlier part of her career that maybe didn't gel with the new may young because that's not what the business was in the yeah. year 2000 if and may was still here with us now you know and you know because she in 2024 she wanted to wrestle stephanie or aurora sky yeah. in a match like but i think they would have come around to may's past because the narrative suits it a bit more now even then though i'm not sure she would want to be because as she said herself she's one of the boys mm. like she i think she herself wanted to protect the industry yeah. and i think I, I just get the feeling that part of the reason why she's been so quiet and modest seeming about her accomplishments and her career is because she knows it will make it will make other men look bad and yeah. those are men who she probably loves and has gotten on very well with it stands in complete opposition to the old saying of quiet women rarely make history yeah because in wrestling quiet women often get the history made for them and yeah. if you're not a quiet woman you are history like honestly because if you're someone who's kicked up against a foster went against the grain or whatnot you know be wendy richter or april hunter whoever it may be you know you're not part of the the discussion and all that so i kind of feel like I don't want anyone to have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. We obviously have strong ideals now and we want to, to hope you know, women's wrestling to continue to get better and to build on these foundations and to get better and better. But whether it's looking back at the role of these older women played in the 2000s or you know the role that certain women played in the types of matches they had to do, I don't think us like kind of disavowing it and burying it just because a woman didn't fucking tear up the script and jump out of a battle royal. Like not everyone can be Gail Kim, you know? No, and you know what? <laughs> May wouldn't have had the career she had if she had been like that. There's a reason mm. Gail Kim has been ostracized from yeah. a big part of the industry. You know, yeah. because like it, it's it, women who are rebellious that well, like, I think there's, there's two different types of rebellion. There's like, rebelliousness from women which appeases men which is i think kind of what may was doing mm. and i'm not saying deliberately like she was trying to please men i think she just as she said herself she's one of the boys mm. so she could keep up with that kind of like patriarchal macho yeah. behavior yeah. and i think that's the thing like there's there's two types of rebelliousness and i think that you know the cigar smoking and the hanging out with the boys and being one of them is the type of cool girl aesthetic that is celebrated mm. there's a type of rebelliousness that is perceived as being good yeah Versus the type of the Gail Kims of the world who are feminine and saying, no, you can't treat me like this. I will not put up with this shit. That's not perceived as being cool and okay in the same way as like the May Young stuff is. Yeah, and like with men as well. Like if you're an outlaw, you kick up the system or you're like, yeah. you get a bad reputation for, you know, that that can become a character, that can become a selling point, you know. Yeah. It, and it has become, you know, we've talked about nauseam in ECW episodes about like, you know, having a bad rep actually worked out quite well if you were a man. Kind of hoping in the modern days now we're going to get to see some women who are able to be outspoken to rebel against the bullshit they're seeing. And we are seeing that with, with the speaking out movement. Yeah, but not having to be one of the cool girls. No. Like, I'm not like most girls. No. I'm, I'm one of you boys. I like, want to be the exception. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a girl. I'm I'm cool. I'm rebellious and I want change. Yeah, well, I'm really hopeful for the future of women's wrestling. And I think... While we're looking back into the past, I hope we don't necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater because the women who were here and part of this history, they had to live through this history. And even if the history is recontextualized, I don't think it's worth demonizing the role that women have played. You know, you have to be able to to pivot and be what wrestling is at the given point in time. But I think we can acknowledge the contributions that women have made in the past and then hope for better things for the women in wrestling in the future. And on that point, why don't we have a look at your tweets and your Facebook posts about the great Mae Young. 
Twitter at HowToWrestling. This one's from Kevin Chiat. I've looked and I'm not sure if there is any surviving footage of Mae Young from the 50s or 60s, at least in terms of full matches. Her prominence in people's memories now is primarily for the Attitude Era and WWE revisionism, rather than being a major star in her heyday. Mae is venerated now because of WWE exposure, the fact that she's a safer choice to celebrate the moolah, and the personal relationship between her and Stephanie. The tournament really should have been called the Mildred Burke Classic. I mean, you can make that argument, but I would say if you're looking into the history of Mildred Burke... There's no shortage of controversy there. I think what you could say about Mae Young is that in her heyday, she was probably one of the top 10 women's wrestlers in the world, but she was considered to be the toughest, in inverted commas, for whatever that's worth. I think on that note alone, she's an important woman. I think Kevin isn't totally right, though. It's it's the WWE exposure. The relationship with Stephanie is very interesting as well. I think it was on the Paul Heyman Blu-ray, actually. There's a little extra bit in there. Because a lot of the Paul Heyman documentary we watch for the, the Paul Heyman app, it's like, Stephanie and Paul hate the fuck out of yeah. each other. But she's like, after Mae Young died in 2014, she'd been living in a hospice for some time. Like, Paul basically sent her a message saying, like, you know, you made her dream come true. You gave her a career that, you know, most women are, when they're forgotten about and just discarded, you were able to provide her, like, you know, joy and joy for millions. And Stephanie kind of, like, said from that point she considered Paul Heyman a friend. And Paul saying kind of something vaguely nice about Mae... It's so special that, you know, Stephanie would disregard all of her real-life hatreds for Paul Heyman. That speaks a lot to the relationship that the two of those women had. I yeah. think there's a lot more there. I think it may be closer to the Ric Flair-Triple H relationship than we'd ever would have known. But, mm. yeah, there you go. Next up, from MDG8888. A great primer for May is the documentary Lipstick and Dynamite, which we watch. Mm. She is an iconoclast, potentially queer icon, who wore men's suits and was openly gay, according to many colleagues, and is a founding mother of Joshi by touring Japan and wrestling. Her complicity for abuse and her friendship with Moolah cannot be overlooked for the generations of people at Hurt. All that is known is Mae Young is a true pioneer, a rugged, flawed individual who shattered doors and opened wrestling for women around the world before TV. Also, this whole generation is amazing. There is a great book about Mildred Burke, an amazing overlooked woman in history that gives a lot of context yeah i think mildred burke is got to be high on the list now yeah. because i think we definitely the clips that we saw of mildred when we watched lipstick and dynamite and i think going into this episode we had a desire to see some actual wrestling from this period of time we only got to see clips in the end and not full matches yeah i think and as well I'm very well aware throughout the episode that a lot of the stuff we've talked about, Mildred Burke and Billy Wolf and all that jazz, you know, this is coming from a narrative and a perspective that's definitely influenced by like Fabulous Moolah's narrative. Yeah. Because Billy Wolf and Mildred Burke are persona non grata if you're if you're Fabulous Moolah or Mae Young or, or their their friendship circle. And I think I can't help but think there's more to it than that. Mm. Like a lot more to it than that somehow. That it's not simply the, like the thing I told you about where May was in one interview saying that Mildred Burke was the greatest and the yeah. other was just saying she could never beat me. I think that Mildred Burke was an inconvenient extra name for Moulin. Like the fact that no one was talking about Mildred Burke during their run in the late 90s was probably to their benefit and probably like was what they wanted because you didn't want to hear like here are these two old grand ladies of wrestling. They're not Mildred Burke mind, like, <laughs> hear her, she was champion for ages. Like, you know. I really would love to do an episode on Wendy Richter as well. Yeah, Wendy Richter, who every single time you see her, you're like, that's a look. Yeah. That's a look. I love her look. Wendy so the good. look Richter. <laughs> 
Next up from Eddie O'Keefe, Mae Young is literally the first memory I have of wrestling. Granted, it was her asking if anyone wanted to see her puppies, but that single moment was life-changing for me. Would I have gotten into wrestling without seeing this? Mm, probably. Is it the most wrestling way to get into wrestling? Oh yeah. Undoubtedly. <laughs> Mae always made me laugh no matter what. There's just something very funny about an old woman with zero fucks to give whose willingness to do literally anything for an audience. What a hero. Oh man, that reminds me of like the last time wrestling was discussed at the dinner table when I was growing up. It was like, you know, age 13, a friend had come over from school and they're like, so Mae Young gave birth to a hand. What was that all about, Kevin? They were like, what? Like, <laughs> Look, she was 80 and she went out with Mark Henry and she was pregnant for a year. She did lots of gambling that's very bad for the baby. <laughs> the... The hand birth. I mean, I, I would be remiss not to ask you about the gelatinous scene in question with Pat Patterson said, hey, let's everyone give me a big hand because yeah. she gave birth to a hand. I was fucking raked over coals for not understanding this apparently <laughs> correctly when I did it for the Attitude podcast. Really? There's something to understand? Yeah, there is, apparently. So I'll tell you what I think happened. Okay. And we, we can talk about what Vince McMahon says happened. Okay. And I'll tell you what all the fucking... Einstein's told me actually happened. Okay, here we go. So what I think happened is she gave birth to a hand. Yeah. The end. Then what? Why do you think she gave birth to a hand? Because it's a complicated pregnancy. Because she's in her eighties, you and know. Because she was... And she got bumped around a lot. Right. Like, okay. I don't know if I. Like, May used to go off the ring apron onto the floor below, like all the time. Like up on the ring ropes, <laughs> she'd fall off, take a flat back bump, like Cactus Jack or something. Whose hand is it? Is it Mark Henry's baby's hand? It's a white hand. That's all so we know. does that Coming mean it's not goo. even Mark Henry's baby's hand? Well, it's a hand, and Mark was very happy because uh, oh, you did it, and I was like, yeah, may give birth to a hand, and I was like, yay. <laughs> and that's they clapped and they never mentioned it again on, on TV, so right? So what, they don't keep the hand? The hand isn't a character? No, they, uh, not for a while. Now what, the, the fucking intelligentsia who came after me, yeah? Pitchforks and, tor and torches in hand, might I add. They came to me and they said, Oh, Kevin, you idiot. You, you absolute fool. Obviously what's happened here is that it's a gag about May having a sex toy lodged up inside her womb all these years. And that all the bumps and all the sex from Mark has just dislodged it and they thought she was pregnant. But in fact she just had this... Because the old sex toys apparently were big wooden hands or big fists. I don't fucking know. Just use a tentacle like a normal person, you freak. <laughs> <laughs> but that apparently is what it was. And then that came out. And everyone, everyone who took it out was like, oh, look, it's a hand. And everyone was like, ha ha, it's obviously a sex toy from the 30s, right? That's what the intelligentsia will have you believe, folks. Vince McMahon himself, on Mark Henry's new documentary, Mark Henry says, Vince comes up to me and he goes, she's going to give birth to a hand, Mark. <laughs> and Mark goes, okay. And is it like... My hand or hers <laughs> or is it, and this that'd be really funny if she gave birth to her own her hand. own hand. Oh my god, I've got no <sighs> hand. Uh, this is the most fucking sweetheart Mark Henry thing ever. He goes, "Is it meant to be symbolic of something?" <laughs> and Vincent Van goes, hmm? "What is this symbolic?" No, no. What Vincent Van goes is. It's a hand, <laughs> and that's literally all he said to Mark was, "It's a hand." Don't you get it? It's a hand. Ha, ha, ha. So either Vince McMahon thought that the sex toy gimmick was so funny that he didn't want to tell any of the involved parties right. and only he's allowed to know. Well, on Raw 1000, which me and Billy Keeble had the displeasure of reviewing all the way back for the Edge podcast, 
Mae Young's hand did show up once again as Mae in Adoria was like, oh, hello, guys. I just wanted to introduce you to uh, my son. This is uh, my son. And it was just a man in a hand costume going, <laughs> hello. <laughs> I'm Mae and Mark's son. Oh like, like hugging him lovingly. Let's just quickly Google Mae Young's son so you can. And like, it's such, it's such a shit costume as well. guy from Friday Night Dinner. <laughs> Literally, it looks just like him. It does, yeah. Fucking hell. How about that? So, how, um... <laughs> and the announcers laughed lots. Mark Henry. So, canonically, Mark Henry has a son with Mae Young who is a hand. Yeah. So, there you go. I hope one day this hand becomes a wrestler. Maybe maybe they'll wrestle Aurora Sky. Yeah. You know? Continue the legacy. <laughs> I mean, with those jeans. Johnny Mae Young and Mark Henry. I don't know. Put him in the ring with a Pete Dunne, though. This guy is wild open. Yeah. <laughs> Joint manipulation like we've never seen before. <laughs> you, someone get Nigel McGuinness off furlough. <laughs> Next up from Jessica Zack. Lita had a great story about May on WWE Storytime. She talked about how May would sleep in the locker room and Lita didn't think May knew who she was. And one day, May came up to Lita and smacked her as hard as she could and said, New tattoo, Lita? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, uh, well, I mean, I don't know. Spanking people in a locker room, slapping... Uh, I'm just saying that this horseplay is, is getting borderline now. <laughs> I want to say, like... Whether you viewed Mae Young as the crazy old lady who got hurt lots or, you know, someone who's a little bit deeper to that. Whether you're someone who's bravely trying to figure out her at times unknowable legacy. I think we can all agree that she is an iconoclast and she is a pioneer. What that means in women's wrestling, unfortunately, is ultimately up to the individual companies. But I think as regards to Mae Young, her legacy or whatever it is that we know of it, is going to be intact in its form because she is a WWE's poster child right now for that Mae Young Classic. We've had two of those tournaments. And I will say, in terms of Mae being ahead of her time and all that, it does warm my heart to think that at least her name is being used. I think her name is being used correctly because, you know, a woman who was, you know, one of the first w- women to wrestle in Japan, you know, to wrestle for Stu Hart, throwing the dropkick first time ever, all that stuff, you know, her being uh, the the name that's put to the like this is the, where we saw Shayna Baszler, Kyrie Zane, Tegan Knox. I mean, half the women's roster at the moment have come from the Mae Young Classic. It feels like these are great women who are doing amazing stuff. If she's anything of an inspiration to them, then she needs to be like lauded, I think, and, mm. and held up in high regards. I can't help but say I want to know more. Still, me too. I really hope we do end up with a Mae Young revisited. I'm hoping yeah. that our contact at the WWE, who obviously listens to all of this these episodes is like hmm making a note gonna take in the archives meeting with Vince McMahon I think we need a documentary with Mae Young well I think it's been a fascinating travel through time with, with Mae mm. and I, I think I've, I've learned so much in this episode that I didn't know and I think it's weird that at the end of an episode where I feel like I'm still lacking for stuff to learn and you're feeling that as well yeah. it kind of it, in many respects, has been the hardest episode to do. I mean, we've had pretty much no notes here yeah, today with us, none. folks. That's it's It's been kind of just chats and as a result of the fact that there is little to nothing of the woman's career available. But there's still a lot to find out. And I hope this has been a guiding light in some respects. Our next episode is certainly going about someone who there is no shortage of material supplementary watching out the wazoo. We're going to be looking right into the eyes of the one and only 
Jake the Snake Roberts, unquestionably one of the most chilling presences in wrestling history. My all-time favourite promo, one of the greatest villains, one of the greatest characters, and one of the greatest minds, and one of the most troubled stories in wrestling history, which seems to, at the moment, at the very least, have something of a happy story which we can talk about. So, Jake the Snake Roberts, his relationship to wrestling, his relationship to men we've covered before, like Macho Man Randy Savage, DDP, Razor Ramon. There's going to be a lot of talk about his early days, about those promos. We are after matches, of course. We're after segments. But I want the best promos. And yes, we will be wallowing in the muck of Everest, but that doesn't just mean you can send me any old promo. I want the best goddamn Jake the Snake promos imaginable. When... We were doing the artwork for this. It took a long time. <laughs> I We ended up watching a lot of Jake the Snake, Robert's promos. Mm. And I had no idea he's so sexy. <laughs> like, he is legitimately so sexy. Like, he talks to the like through the camera oh yeah and his eyes penetrate your soul i think he's, he's in here right now somehow like oh, he's, I hope he's, so. he's with us uh, i am so excited i think you're gonna love jake the oh Snake Roberts. yeah i am so hyped and i like i only remember seeing bits of him in like what was it the wrestling road diaries as beyond the mat we beyond watched the mat, that was way, it, yeah. like, one of our first dates yeah. i think we watched beyond the mat because i'm a good date <laughs> <laughs> And I remember at the time thinking, what a sad, weird man. But like, he's so good as well. Like the bits I've seen of him in the ring on mm. cutting promos. And obviously he's on AEW now. Yeah, have you seen him a few times yeah. there as well? Yeah, and I just, I love him. He's got such charisma. And he's just, he's very, very, I, I just want to just repeat myself and say he's charismatic again. But he's got this like X factor. He's got this special yeah. something. There's nothing, there's nothing like him. You'll, you honestly, and you have... In the past 12 months, we've done some of the greatest promos ever. We've done Ric Flair. We've done Macho. Like, we've done something great. It, nothing's going to prepare you for this. Nothing's going to prepare It's going to be fucking wild. I cannot wait so goddamn much. And unlike, I think, you know, I think the, I was in a similar mindset when we went to do Roddy Piper. But then looking back on Piper, it's like his, you know, there was so much kind of fucking confusion and so much dodgy stuff that yeah. aged badly. Whereas Jake the Snake, I think his body of work... It's actually, I think, it's going to speak quite quite well for itself, even in 2020. I'm excited. I'm jazzed. I will say as well, folks, we've had a little chat here, and because the AJ Styles episode kind of ended up not ending up the way we wanted to, and this episode also kind of a little bit didn't end up exactly the way we wanted to, we are going to be giving you a little bit of an extra bonus episode. We're going to try something a little bit different, and we're going to see what you think about it, and I'll say no more on the fact. Whether it will come out before or after Jake, I can't rightly say, but it will come out, hopefully, very, very soon. I'm very excited. Me too. Oh, what oh. could it be? Mysteries abound. And hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of How To Wrestling. And as always, if you're listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or on Spotify, make sure you leave us an old rating or review. And if you want to support How To Wrestling, get access to the Revisited series, all of our fabulous pay-per-view reviews, nearly 70 episodes. Joe's Q&A videos, there's like five or six of those now, right? Yeah, I've been doing a monthly video Q&A series since January, February, I don't know. And yeah, turns out I'm a big doofus. You there's can, a trailer, isn't there? There's a little trailer. You can find it on our Patreon for, for everyone, for totally free, or on our social media channels. And um, yeah. this month as well, over on Patreon, you can expect more of our spin-off series, The Big Show Show, with Adam Bibolo from the Attitude Era podcast. And as well, we're going to be doing another pay-per-view classique. As well as reviewing Extreme Rules Horror Show and all the required viewing, we're going to put up a vote. I believe your brief this month is going to be an all-female pay-per-view 
besides Evolution because yeah. you've seen it. Not Evolution because I've seen it, but any other all-female pay-per-view from any point in time. So if you've got any suggestions, the vote will be going up on Patreon for everyone to take part in. Yeah. Let us know. There's a few episodes of Pay-Per-View Classic already available. Three hours plus all of those bad boys. But until next time, it's going to be a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. We're going to be talking about Jake the Snake next time. Brace yourselves. Yay! And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya.